Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I will find the cord that makes you run and cut it. Not seriously, though, Zach. Uh, I think the best way to start this is with saying, well, we are finishing up a series that we only truly named last week the Ridley Scott Revisits series. And, of course, we've talked about our Blade Runners, our Alien, and now... This is exactly why the 30 years later sequels didn't work is because we're discussing the prequels to Alien, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Before we jump into these movies and before I even ask Zach how he wants to go about discussing these two films, another rare double feature on Cinemodities, I I think that I wanted to share a story about how I was thinking about the Alien franchise uh, after I watched these two, because I know last week I said that I watched Prometheus and I kind of loved it. Uh, I watched it again and still kind of loved it. I also have now watched Alien Covenant, and I wouldn't say I loved it, but I thought it was great. Mm, that's I surprising. Watched, yeah, yeah. I think this is going to be a very surprising Rob episode of Cinemodities. But overall, after I watched these two films, con- uh, gathered my notes for this recording did my cinemodities, my late night, my snacks, all that stuff. I kind of had to think to myself, well, you know, Prometheus was 2012. Alien Covenant was 2017. The first thing that jumped into my mind was, well, what's going to be next? And almost immediately as I thought that, I went, oh, Disney bought Fox in 2020. Yeah, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be like these movies, at least. So when I had this realization, and I even did a little research and found a press release where uh, somebody said that uh, Disney plans to continue, and even the word continue was in air quotes in the release I read, the alien story, I basically gave up all hope for any more of, I guess what I want to call the David trilogy, the Michael Fassbender Android trilogy. And so before we jump into these movies and really talk about them, Zach, I wanted to get it out before I forgot that I have a special note. I actually want to predict on this podcast, on the record, a future Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. They're going to name the movie. The title of the film is going to be David versus Goliath. The plot of the film is going to be David, Michael Fassbender Android, and his alien creatures go back in time to invade Earth just as the engineers at the end of Prometheus intended. And the only person, for some stupid reason, none other than MCU logic, to fight off David and his aliens is... No, no, it's Goliath. And we've already seen Goliath in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Goliath is Bill Foster, played by Lawrence Fishburne in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He's the Ant-Man that gets big. So how do you fight an android with his, big, with his aliens? You get big. So I am predicting right now that we are going to get David versus Goliath 
It's going to be the conjunction of the Alien Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where Michael Fassbender, Aliens, and Goliath, played by Lawrence Fishburne, will have to face off. What do you think? Sounds horrible. It It sounds horrible. That's what I was going to ask you. Does it sound horrible enough to work? And I think my answer is yes. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's that's the worst kind of answer to a horrible scenario. Because when I was thinking of this, I was like, well, I got to make it dumb, right? I got to make it dumb to work in the MCU. And the MCU is not going to jump to, you know, 2100. They're going to have to go back in time. And so I think David is going to figure out time travel, go back to Hank Pym's era. And Hank Pym's going to be working on whatever the hell he's doing, trying to keep the Tesseract from Tony Stark in that stupid scene in Endgame. But Lawrence Fishburne is going to be out there fighting as Goliath. David, David versus Goliath, MCU. If you haven't thought of this yet, um, I, I don't know. What can I do in audio recording that makes it patented? I just want, like, I don't know, maybe, I, how about this? I make him a deal. Give me, give me like, six grand. I know that's cheap for a spec script, but just give it to me. I'll take six grand right now, Marvel and Disney. Like, I'll, I'll deal with that. <laughs> all all that being don't, said don't, I, don't give them ideas <laughs> i i well i'll give them an idea for six grand uh but i i had to i had because that was kind of after i formed all my notes i looked into that and i was very disappointed i was like reminded by the fact that disney bought 20 21st century fox 20th century fox whatever the fuck it's called now and without further ado i guess we should get into our double feature today in 1979 as we talked about last week, Ridley Scott directed Alien, and more than 30 years, more than 20 years, more than 25, I think what, uh, Prometheus was 33 years after, and Covenant was 38 years, 2012 and 2017, we are going to be discussing both of these prequels. So Prometheus is a prequel to Alien, Covenant is a sequel to Prometheus, but also a prequel to Alien, <laughs> and uh, I, I guess the, the best way to start this, Zach, is that something that I don't think will come up anywhere else. Um, when I did my research, the DVD, the Blu-ray, the home release, all that stuff for Alien Covenant came out on one of our favorite dates of all time. Oh, yeah, it did. Ben Affleck's birthday. I forgot about that. 17. So I had yeah, to I mention that. that. Uh, 8 17 August 15th, 2017. That's when this was released. I had to mention that. I think that's the one note I have that does not relate to these movies as a whole. So I want to throw it over to you, Zach, because you were the uh, inceptor of this idea of us doing a double feature. Because when I told you, you I think you said to me, what about Prome- Alien and Prometheus? And I was like, I've never seen Prometheus. I watched it. I told you I kind of loved it. You were blown away, I think. And then you said, what about Alien Covenant? I was like, I've also never seen that. I watched that, and I said, hell, Zach, we could talk about either of these. And you came up with the idea of a double feature. So any more detail you want to give about that double feature before we jump into these specific movies? Um, Does context count, or is context its own thing? No, I I think context kind of counts, because I know for a fact that... um, with what I've said, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, I've watched now for the first time in the last two weeks. You clearly knew about these before I did. You know, I know we established last week I watched Alien. I loved it. 
I watched Aliens. I've never wanted to vomit harder if I didn't vomit, and I stopped. But you clearly kept going, and you saw these films in 2012 and 2017, if not a year later. So, yeah, what's your history with these, and, and why did you think this would be something worthy to talk about on Cinemodities? Well, Rob, before I answer those questions, I want to be noted, much like in our Blade Runner 2049 discussion, I am currently wearing a USCSS Covenant t-shirt that I got when this movie came out in May of 2017. I want it on the record that... So, so it's not a, it's not a Wayland Corp shirt, it's a no. USSC shirt, okay. Yes, much like what the characters in this movie wear. Yes, yes, because in Prometheus we get the good old Ildris Elba showing off all his muscles with a Wayland Corp shirt. And it should be said, I did have a Wayland Corp shirt, Corp, uh, yes, Corp, I almost said Corpse. Um, there is a Wayland Corpse, but that's later in Prometheus. Um, I did have a Wayland Corp shirt. That I got from Hot Topic in the summer of 2012. Oh, wow. Hot. Okay. Uh, that that kind of makes sense that Hot Topic would sell that for sure. Yeah. And when Alien Covenant came out, they didn't, I think outside of a couple of toys, nobody made anything for that film. <laughs> outside. That's why I bought the shirt. I bought the shirt because I, it was, okay. It was another one of these regal rewards things that I, I uh, redeemed. And this was during yeah. the very, very magical time. Of when I could use movie vouchers to pay for shipping, so it was essentially just freebies. This was in the same ballpark as that, where it's like I I can still remember when they yep. announced Alien Alien Covenant stuff. I was literally like on my phone. I can never explain to Rob the like elaborate setup I had to make sure I always got that stuff the moment it was available. No, you but you this- haven't. But I think just like uh, last week or a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about how Rob was a professional Yu-Gi-Oh player. I think the same mystery is behind Zach. Gaming the movie system. Is that fair to say? I did nothing <laughs> wrong. Game implies <laughs> negative. I did nothing wrong. I play by the rules and got bit in the ass. You're right. Okay, that's fair. I'll, I I can't think of another word that word. game right Amen now. That but, word. but you are absolutely correct. You um you this found th- the appropriate loopholes through the system. Yes, I'll take that, that. There, there's a better word for it. I can't think of it yet, but you're right, Zach. You're absolutely right. You, you, uh, you played by the rules and won. No, because I eventually end up having sixty vouchers. I could do. No- okay, we're not. Getting well, into that. you, no, you I, played by the I, rules and won in the short run. Maybe is a better, yes, better yes, that it. yes, that that is yes. Thank you. I like that. That sounds better. I played by the rules in the short term and won, but long term I lost. Um, oh, that's a great song lyric. Let me write that down. <laughs> no, continue. Yes, you got this from a Regal Rewards. Okay. Yes, and I, and I remember even I sent a friend of the pod. And actually, Rob, I don't think you know this, but this is not the first time I will have talked about Alien Covenant on a podcast. There is actually a Knights of Vader episode from May of 2017 where Force Ghost Jim and I talk about Alien Covenant. I did I've not never listen heard to that it. one. I did not listen to it in preparation for this episode. Okay, okay, so you're fresh still. Yes, I am still fresh. I have no idea. I, 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 but you did watch the movie in preparation, right? Of course, Rob. I had oh. I have not, I have not watched this in a couple Good. of years, so I was excited to revisit this. Look, you gotta get Danny McBride in here. We'll talk about him in a little Good bit. Good old Tennessee. You gotta Tennessee. Get, you gotta get Kenny Powers. You gotta get Mr. Okay. I, I left Mary Louise Parker seven months <laughs> Thank pregnant. You. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Because the whole time <laughs> I was watching this, I will never be able to look at I don't you know, I see Billy Crudup and I do not think of him as Dr. Manhattan. I think of him as the man that left a pregnant woman seven months pregnant. Like that is just Okay, we're we're taking a huge detour yeah. exact contest context. 
But how did this not come up in Watchmen? Yeah, I, I have no idea. We didn't, I have we no didn't idea talk how. about this at all. We, I, know. I, I think I was so enthralled by my love of Watchmen and your disagreeance of my love yes. of Watchmen yes, that we never talked about the fact that Billy Crudup got the weeds lady pregnant and left her seven months into her pregnancy. My headcanon is Billy <laughs> Crudup got her pregnant and then went, wait. This is going to take nine months. I'm out. (laughs) I don't know anything about Billy Crudup other than, you know, I mean, Billy Crudup, Mr. You know, Dr. Manhattan, Mr. Will Bloom from Big Fish, the Flash's father from Justice League, (laughs) J. Edgar Hoover from uh, Public Enemies. Yeah, I forgot about that. And the MasterCard voice. But he left... This woman seven months pregnant. That's a dirty thing to do. <laughs> Indeed. And he kind of got away with it. He didn't get, it's funny, in the era of Me Too, that he didn't retroactively get blamed for that at all. Um, that's that's yeah. weird. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. This, oh, this be a, this, there should be a Hollywood case study over that. Like, huh. huh. Like I said, I think he chalked it up to uh, lack of knowledge. He didn't know getting Maybe, somebody okay. pregnant would take nine months. Maybe he thought like the the face huggers in Alien Covenant that you get oh. impregnated and it happens immediately. Maybe he was like, "Oh crap, there must be something wrong if it's not happening immediately." I got bail. <laughs> That's why this I think is, happened. This is doing irreparable damage to me ever interviewing Billy Crudup, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> because the only thing I'd ever want to talk to him about is his role in Big Fish, because he does a great job. But, uh, yeah, he, he didn't do a great service to his uh, public credentials, right? No, <laughs> but it didn't Harry harm his career, so clearly he's doing something not horrible yeah, um, yeah. when it comes to PR. Um, but no, when it comes to these movies, um, I, I told Rob I've been kind of on the alien bandwagon since 2007, or technically 2004 with Alien versus Predator from our last week's episode. So when Prometheus was like announced, like originally, I remember back, I forget what summer it was. And I remember like Ridley Scott hyping it up. I think there was even like, he was like, he like uh, Skyped in it, like one of the Comic Cons, probably 2011. And I remember like, all the, like, this was back when I really was like in the movie stuff that Rob can tell you about. Like I knew everything. I remember him like, like, it was really like cryptic language. Like when this film was in production, it's like, Oh, Ridley Scott's like working on something that's maybe, or maybe not alien related. And nobody yes. knew like what that meant. And that went on for a while. Cause like, the big catchphrase back in the day was that, like, Oh, he would go around telling people that being Ridley Scott, like, Oh, Prometheus shares DNA with the alien franchise. And I was like, what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> and then I remember in the winter of 2011, I saw the girl with the dragon tattoo in theaters. And it was one of the very few instances back in that era. They still kind of, it's, it's kind You're of talking about the, the American one in yes, 2011, yes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Rooney Mara and Rooney James Mara, Bond. Yeah. Not, not and, Numi Rapace. No, in the Swedish no. ones who is also no. in this movie. <laughs> no, not her. And I remember sitting in, the, and this was like one of the very few times back during that year that they didn't show the trailer immediately on line they were keeping it just i think for the first like and it wasn't even announced i remember seeing the trailer and not even like expecting it and rob knows i usually can predict most trailers that play in front of most movies yeah i i I ask zach before i go to the theaters what am i gonna see in the trailers absolutely (laughs) yeah now it's nothing because movie theaters aren't open but um yeah yeah Uh, it's all right the last movie i saw in in a movie theater was uncut gem so i can die (laughs) happy 
and you get Adam Sandler at a diner with the Safety Brothers and Justin Bateman for no reason. <laughs> yes, yes, I can die happy. Um, kind of hard to believe that's surreal. That's the last we gotta mention that we talk about that. Uh, people, oh, absolutely. At the last, but, the last yeah. movie I will ever see in a movie theater was the Safety Brothers and Adam Sandler and Jason Bateman. Like that's tune in oh. at the end of this episode for our next series, which we've kind of just given away. <laughs> Actually, I guess you said it. that's next. That should be uh, okay. You're right. Next week. Mention, yeah. yeah, next, next week. week. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about the series, Zach. But I think I we've given will. away next week's episode, so you know yes. we're, we're, we're wetting their appetite. <laughs> so yeah, so they. I remember them showing the preview. I remember like I I, I didn't know what it looked like. So like, but I'm watching this and I'm hearing the sounds and I'm like, this sounds like Alien. Mm-hmm. And they actually showed like again at the time I didn't know what any of this meant. I'm like, oh my god, it's the space jockey, it's the derelict. I'm like, it's it's really like it's happening. He's making an alien prequel. Like we're getting like we're getting it. I remember back this was still when like ain't it cool news was still slightly relevant. I remember even like okay. tweeting them being like, oh my god, like it's real. I just saw the trailer like that afternoon. And they were like, they retweeted me. That was like really cool back in like 2011, being like retweeted by ain't it cool news, and. I remember being like, okay, I was hyped. Like, and that was like after, cause that, this came out in June of 2012. And I remember like, after like the hype of the Avengers was over, I'm like, okay, like what am I getting? Cause I remember with the Avengers, like I read all the spoilers. Like I was like, I was, I deep, I jumped in. Like I want all the spoilers for the Avengers. Yeah. You were, you were letting it eat holes through your brain. Yes. Oh yeah. No. Yes. To the, po- <laughs> to, to the point where I, I actually, cause the Avengers was released overseas a week before us the U.S. got it. I remember watching the entire film yeah. before I saw it in theaters. What a time, uh, man. <laughs> what a time. And then I remember with Prometheus being like, oh, like, how they were hyping it up in the marketing. Because the trailers were fantastic. Like, that first, like, trailer was, like, absolutely phenomenal. And I'm like, do I read spoilers about it or do I go in blind? And I think I went in blind. From what I remember, I went in blind for it. And I remember I saw it with my mother because I think I sold it on her being like, oh, like, it's an alien prequel. And she likes alien like most people do. And she's like, okay, I'll see it. And the last movie she had seen prior to me was John Carter. And to this day, if I bring up John Carter to my mother, she'll just like freak out. Like she'll be like, no, like that's like, that's the, like, that's the worst thing she's ever been forced to watch was John Carter. And like, she hate, she she won't say it now, but like she hated Prometheus more than John Carter. She loathed it. Wow. She hated it. She hated it. Like for really no other reason she thought it was stupid. And then like, I walked out of it and I was like, like, it's not great. But like you know what it, it's in, it's funny in preparation for this episode I was thinking about it there's a certain new ranking I've got to give movies as Rob can tell you like if anybody asks me my opinion on a movie it usually comes down to two things it's either I liked it or it's fine if if yeah if you get fi- if you find being not memorable that's what I was gonna come back at you yes right if it, yeah. yes if, if something is fine that's literally the worst rating I can give a movie because that's neutral. Me- yeah, it's neutral. There's nothing to it. it. It's it's almost a void of substance, and that's the worst rank. If I ever tell somebody a movie is, if I ever say the word phrase, it's fine or X movie is fine, that means it gets the lowest recommendation I can possibly give. Yeah. Um, and so I remember, but anyway, for this movie, the point I was getting at was my opinion has changed to, and it's kind of like what's happening now with a lot of these franchise movies is it's scratched an itch. Mm. And I think that's how I'm going to have to start describing these movies that are slightly above fine, like a hair above it, because I think it's kind of like how I would describe Predators. I think when I gave Rob Predators, I was like, Rob, this is it was kind of like another men, women, and children scenario. And Rob's like, Zach, 
it's fine. Like it's 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 Pred- Predators is the uh, oh I'm sorry the Predator Jacob, the the Predator the, the, the Jake one. the Jacob Trend yes. one right yes okay yes, I'm sorry. okay yeah, I, yeah. I lose track of all these singular plural I know yeah these... that that's my biggest issue I'm so glad that these sequels that were or prequels we're talking about aren't like aliens with multiple s's and we got aliens with well, two s's well, three well, you s's know, four well, you, s's well you know if they ever made a a third of these in the ridley scott david trilogy you know what they would call it right uh david returns well I, I, <laughs> what they would call it rob not what we would call it david versus goliath in the mcu <laughs> once again rob they would call it the alien the alien yeah 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 you're, you're right i i don't want to admit it, it but you're right yeah <laughs> <laughs> the same way they're calling a new Batman movie, The Batman. It's oh, just they, 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 for some reason, Hollywood's convinced itself we can't give numerical titles anymore. So we can't Robert call Batman. Yes. Yes. We can, we cannot call something just Alien Two. We have to call it some clever minimalistic nonsense. Um, but anyway, though, so like I saw Prometheus, and I kind of was like, I don't want to say I was disappointed by it because I thought like some some of it was really dumb. I did not like how they explained the. Um, we'll delve into this more. But sure. just giving kind of like a snapshot is like I didn't like how they explained the the space jockey. Like I kind of hated that. I'm like, like no, you've ruined the mystery of the space jockey now. Like he was this really yeah, cool. I'm, thing. I'm making that noise negative to Zach because I love it. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. But there's somebody who like in like in somebody else's kitchen was opening up their copy of alien like the dvd after they spent like 50 dollars at borders for it and you see this really cool like imagery of the space jockey being like oh my god what's this then researching it and there's literally no information on it and you're like wow and then like five years later you find out oh they're just a bunch of like pale albino tall people and it's like eh like fine whatever i don't care um uh beautiful you mean uh, okay. Sure. Let's continue. That's, sure. Sure. You can. You can. Like. I, I do not have strong feelings about it either way. Um, and then, like, I love David. I love Michael Fassbender's character. Like, that's probably the only unanimous praise that uh that yes. this film gets is the fact that everybody I, admires I that, that performance as well, and that he is he is just he does a job in terms of uh, performance of acting that is, you know, something I don't think we've seen in a long time since the original Alien movie. You know, because we've talked about Blade Runner now, and I know we discuss some of of uh, ridley scott's direction in the past but he's he's hitting out of the park michael well, Fassbender, it's like it's a phenomenal performance yeah yeah and you know and all those years before i saw this movie it was like oh michael fassbender sure you got magneto you got frank uh which i did lo- i didn't i never really liked him as magneto but i loved him as frank as the autistic musician but this is this just takes the cake now he's gonna be david to me yeah and that was because I've been familiar with Michael Fassbender ever since Inglorious Bastards. Oh, um, well, oh, I can't. Jesus, Zach, take a put a take. I will, I will let you take a dollar off my paycheck for not remembering that role because he's also great in that. Absolutely. Yes. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, just that, a that's do- just a do- just a dollar though. <laughs> <laughs> just a dollar. Um, but no, so no, he's been around forever in that sense. And I, again, everybody loved him. But the weird thing that happened to Prometheus, which made me kind of like at the time really appreciate it. And this is where I know we've talked about it in previous episodes, but red letter media started gaining traction on the Internet. Okay. Because they I'm not sure if Rob remembers this, but back when after that movie came out, they made a video called like like questions like Prometheus questions. And it's Mike Stockhausen and Jay sitting there and Mike's asking all these just kind of like 
inane questions, and they're all being presented as plot holes. And it's like, why does the black goo? Why does David put the black goo? Why are the engineers? And it goes on for like six minutes, but it's one of these videos that like really captured film social media. Like it captured the zeitgeist. Like it was one. Of the, like it's. I, it was. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen this. You know, I think we talked about it last week, whether it be on mic or off mic. That we were going to have to talk about the Prometheus school of running away from things. That's. This is all part of that. This was. I. That was I a, thought that was a Cinema Sins original. Are you telling me it was a Red Letter Media? Well, no. The Prometheus school of running away from things is this. From what I can remember, was a Cinema Sins thing. Cinema Sins, but but because they. Did touch on it in Red well, Letter Media? Well, this is, well, 2012 was a really, like, this is where, like, a lot of those channels became popular. 2012 yeah. is where Honest Trailers began. It's when CinemaSins began. Like, yes, Red Letter Media had been around really since, like, the mid-2000s. But, like, sure. this is when they started to take off. They no longer were this niche thing at this point. But like by this time they were they were gaining traction, like serious traction. Gotcha. And they start getting noticed by like these other people. Like I would imagine they've probably been like Mike Stockklasa and friends have to have been offered multi million dollar buyouts of Red Letter Media at this point. They I I'm they've had to have been offered multi million dollar buyouts. Oh, absolutely. Even though Zach and I have talked off Mike about how much Rob thinks they're a current blight on media criticism. You cannot help but notice that they have a huge amount of views per episode. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're getting at, that someone has to have offered to purchase that, for sure. Yeah. And But this is the, but they were one of the first ones to really delve on to Prometheus. Because I don't—this is before they became really self-aware. So, like, I doubt that they weren't—they probably did it because they disliked the film. Like, I do not—like, this was back—like, I. it's not like nowadays where they attack Star Wars because it's popular to attack Star Wars. Sure. It's that I think they hated the film, and they were going to take—it's like they did with the prequels. They hated the prequels. Yeah. And they were going to take— was, uh, I, Even at the time of this recording, I know that—because I, 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 I do keep tabs on— Rob's one of the weird people that even if he hates something, he likes to keep tabs on them. Like all the people that continuously talk shit about James Joyce. Uh, what, the last thing I saw Red Letter Media do was something about Blumhouse. And I yeah. didn't watch it, but it's just like, oh, wow, there's a studio that's making money these days. Of course they're going to talk shit on Blumhouse. Yeah, I think I've watched like 20 minutes of that. I think it's like an hour long, and that's essentially what they do. They, they crap on it. Yeah, that's... And hell, that's what that's what people want. That's why Cinema Sins is so popular. Hey, it didn't you realize this was a problem? This was a problem. This was a problem. And it's like, well, goddamn, can't anybody think for themselves these days? Well, that's but that's a thing that gained a lot of these channels prominence because Prometheus is a very easy target. Because unless you think I, about the, and I, well, okay, in okay, in my layman, context, layman, yes, you're right. Layman's in my context. Before before I watched this two weeks ago for the first time ever, I'm I'm glad you bring this up because literally I've had this on my hard drive for years. Like somebody who I know who loves the Alien series that I lived with years ago, he shared this with me, and he was like, "Yeah, it's another Alien movie." And I was like, "Eh, whatever." You know, I like the first one. The second one is hot garbage. Tune in next week, uh, last week's episode, the, more about aliens. But I never watched it. And I went through my whole life thinking that this was just garbage. Like, people told me that it sucked. And I think that's what these criticism, online yep. criticism things yep. latched onto, was that, wow, Damon Lindelof's a loser. He wrote a bad episode of Lost. 
he he wrote Lost, everybody was dead. And it's like, no, no. Okay, that's a discussion for another time if everybody in Lost it was dead, which they're not. Uh, but but that's what I was getting into my cultural osmosis, that everybody to me who talked about Prometheus was like, it's stupid, it's worthless, it's not worth your time. If you like Alien, there's no point in viewing it. And and I'm I, I kind of feel that I have been done a disservice. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, and that's and that's kind of like, well, that's the thing that re- happened to Red Lighter Media. And maybe we'll at this point we might have inserted the clip. We might insert more. I don't know. I don't want to insert any clips of Red Lighter Media. No, but it, it's for context, though, to help. The I know. Audience. Yeah, I know. I know that we're completionists with this stuff, but you know, sometimes well, I put my well, foot down. Well, like, well, okay. Depending on uh, kind of mood, I know, I I know ha- there was a week or two ago where you mentioned a Key and Peel episode, and I didn't put the clip in. I ended up putting a clip of me saying, "Hey guys, Zach mentioned the sketch comedy Fort Month unsolicited, and that was what I did instead." <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll see how it goes. At All right, how sure. about that, Zach? That's fine. Um, but no, the point being is that like they they attacked Prometheus for having so many okay. like questions. It was something. I, the, the video was something like Prometheus oh, questions. And we'll, we'll talk about that more. Continue. I'm sorry, and then, Zach. I'm but, but what but what ha- but what made the thing worse was in the the home video marketing. And it's even on the back of the Blu-ray box. The big angle when it came to home video was questions answered. That was a, I, I mean, like, on, like if, like if, like if you, if people took pictures, I think Red Letter Media did, like at Best Buy, they actually went to a standee that said, like, questions answered. And it's like, oh, and even like on the back of the Blu ray box, it says questions answered. And clearly it was leaning into the criticism. Well, that, that's where I do have more of a problem because this, this I, I guess, I, but, you know, before we talk about this whole movie, something that I, I really believe about this, the, the whole entirety of Prometheus is that it is a perfect example of a prequel. It, it gives enough context for things that were mysteries, but opens enough doors for further mysteries. And that's what I loved about it. And so I'm, I'm with the advertising, anti-advertising, that this didn't answer questions. Sure. Maybe now we know that there was this weird blue dude that got into the space jockey ship type of thing. But but that 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 doesn't matter. That's not a big point of alien. Just because now we know the person that fit into this, you know, Gundam outfit, that 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 doesn't answer anything. That answers the most minute of questions, but leaves the door open for so many more. And that's why I love this as a prequel. Well, like I said, I I never. It, it depends on what you want from this movie. I think a lot of the online critics. Again, I I forget. I think I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, and the online critics were pretty pretty favorable to this at the time. Um, the thing about the red letter media's and the cinema sins. I don't know how cinema sins thinks. So again, I, I, into- I, I I know I've said on this podcast I've watched a lot of cinema sins. I have never watched their episode on this movie, and I, well, yeah, I specifically first avoided it um, because I I did not want to deal with their bullshit because they are bullshit. Um, uh, tune into last week's episode about the Doctor Sleep episode uh, of Cinema Sins. I don't think I will ever watch them again. Um, but I've known about their Prometheus school of running away from things for a long goddamn time, which we will talk about later. 
that that is not a sin. Continue I, though, Zach. No, but I think that, but I think the thing about this movie is that the reason why a lot of the, those specific types of outlets dislike this, especially red letter media, it's the uh, armchair screenwriting. It's the yes. that oh. I could have I could have done this better. Therefore, I'm going to hold it against the film. And, and I like, think that's where I have a problem because I I don't think this could be done better. How how can you write a prequel to Alien without it being stupid fan service that everybody would hate? Give it something that causes questions and causes problems in a handful of the fan base and whether or not that grew because of online criticism, make it something that is disjoint from the original. And that's why I love this. This was disjoint from the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you. It's, it all comes down to individual preference and that's to each his own. And but no, that that's just kind of the context behind this movie. Because by the time the like, I remember getting the. This is why I was still in college. I got the Blu-ray. I think you they had the bonus features disc, and that was only available on the 3D set, and that's why I had to okay. buy. And no, and I um I enjoyed the movie at the time. Rewatching it for this recording, I'm kind of lukewarm on it. It's kind of like it's not mm-hmm. that I dislike it. It's just it's doesn't really do anything for me. I think like everything memorable in the movie I remember. So it's kind of just more yeah. like a uh, it's more of a refresher than experiencing it. I I watched this twice in preparation for this recording. I only watched Covenant once, which we'll get to later on, of course. But um, I know even Zach uh, off mic said we're going to have a lot more to say about Prometheus and Covenant. Um, uh, I. The first time I watched Prometheus, I was all on board. I loved the theme of it and all that stuff. And then that last 40 minutes, holy fuck, like Rob is sitting up on the edge of his seat <laughs> with all that gore and that action and the and the med pod taking out the weird squid thing from Numi Rapace's stomach. Oh, that's, that's, that's the best scene in the whole movie. Well, I'm going to push back on you. The best scene in the movie is when they wake the engineer up. But we'll talk about that more well. later. Uh, Objectively speaking, it's scene. the best scene in the movie. It, it was, uh, uh, but on the second viewing, I did find that setup, that first, once I knew what was happening, that first kind of hour, hour and ten minutes, when, when uh, you know, kind of kind of the end, the end of where I thought on the second viewing was dour, when it started to pick up, was when we get the... Um, uh, the 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 Swedish guy or the Finnish guy, him and Mister, I'm gonna sell a dinosaur for ten million dollars. Oh yeah, they go they go lost in the caves when they find the the artifacts when they find that door that room. That's when the movie starts to pick up for me. Not only because that's when shit hits the fan in terms of the movie and the action. But at the same time, I have to make this I have to make this joke, Zach. We get a scene where Wraith Spall is being very kind to an alien tentacle creature. And the only reason I can think he's doing that is because he wants to sell it for even cheaper than a dinosaur, right? <laughs> he's like, Ooh! You're looking, you're looking so cute. How do you know it's a girl? Oh, it looks like a girl. I could sell it for two million dollars. You're making you could your... sell you could sell that for twenty million dollars. No, no, no. I'm a conservative capitalist. Like I can never see Rafe Spall as another character than his fallen kingdom terrible businessman. <laughs> oh, good lord! That, that that's a deep cut reference. Everybody in the audience is scratching their head right now. 
Everybody should see him as that. Whether he has a spaceship helmet on or not, he is looking to sell dinosaurs on the cheap. <laughs> Pennies on the dollar. That that's literally my note at the beginning of Prometheus. Rafe Spall, Mr. Ten Millions for a Dinosaur Man. <laughs> and like we said in that episode, that costs less than a crane. Yeah. You could buy a crane or you could buy a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, but I, I had to get that out of the way. Rafe Spall in this movie is just a, is fodder for the sure. aliens. Rob, every character in this movie, except for Michael Fassbender and Yumi Rapace, is fodder for some level of carnage. That's true, and I want to get into that more with Alien Covenant, because I thought they, they did a, a worse job of, of portraying that. But I know, I think we're focusing on Prometheus for now, so before we get into that... Um, Prometheus we're focusing on. I do want to talk about Numi Rapace. Um, as Dr. Elizabeth Shaw in this movie, I'm, I'm fucking sold. She does a great job. I think her performance is fantastic, especially for someone that I've watched multiple times over in the three Swedish Millennium Trilogy films. She's, to me, Numi Rapace has always been Lisbeth Salander in... The Swedish Millennium, Millennium Trilogy. Uh, girl, uh, girl with Dragon Tattoo. Girl Who Played With Fire. Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. And I've, I've seen those movies. The Swedish ones with subtitles, of course. I've read the books. I love them all. Before we get off on this tangent, Zach, to ask you about Numi Rapace, the author of the Millennium Trilogy goes by the name Stieg Larsson. Stieg Larsson. Do you know Stieg Larsson's birthday? Please don't tell me it's Ben Affleck's birthday. Ben Affleck's birthday, 1954. August 15th, 1954. Oh, my God. Oh, my Hell God. to the yeah. So, uh, oh, with that being said, because, uh, oh, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. We, we, have a new, we have a new stance on this show. August 15th, 1954. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I had to get that out of there. Um. Uh, I won't even go, maybe one day, if we talk about the Millennium Trilogy, which is something Rob has never pitched to Zach, but would love to do one day, we'll talk about the fantastic circumstances surrounding Stieg Larsson's death, which occurred before any of these books were published. It's amazing. I wanted to get your thoughts. Numi Rapace in this movie, was she a good protagonist for you? Did you believe her as the hero? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, no, like, when this movie was, like, after this came out, it was really, uh, it was, because I really didn't go into this movie with any sort of, like, preconceived notions. And, but, like, like after the fact, it was nice that, like, in Alien prequel, especially after, like, Alien versus Predator films, they didn't try to do Sigourney Weaver again. Like, of course, yeah. she's of course, they're trying to do that by having like like a lead brunette. Like I get it. There's always going to be an element to this. A final girl. She definitely comes out to be the final girl, but you don't really get that. Whereas Sigourney Weaver, you get that almost halfway through the movie, where you know she's the hero, like we talked about last week. Uh, I I'm kind of when I was watching Prometheus for the first time, I was on the edge of my seat. Well, they're focusing a lot on her. And you don't really think she's going to be there or not. And then they even start focusing on her religion belief or religious beliefs. And I was still kind of concerned, but I was satisfied with her role in this movie throughout the whole. No, so was I. No, I know she's good. She doesn't. I think her, I think for the most part, her, she has 
a good character. Um, she's written pretty well, except for maybe some of the the story beats with her. And you know, considering that she has to do something, she's gonna kind of have she has to work with all these wonky plot elements. No, I think she does a great job. Do you Not know Numi? Do you know Numi Rapace's birthday? Not Ben Affleck's birthday. It is not Ben Affleck's birthday, so it does not even deserve mentioning. Uh, but those were the two characters I wanted to focus on. Rafe Spall, Mr. $10 million <laughs> Dinosaur Man, and Numi Rapace, because I think she does a great job. And I think um, I wanted to bring up Numi Rapace as the female lead in this in this movie, because I want to juxtapose that to um, Catherine Sam Waterston. Sam Waterston's daughter. I was going to say that, but I thought it would be offensive, so I'm glad I said her name and you said her status. Uh, but we'll talk about that when we get to Covenant. But if we're still on Prometheus, I I want to go on to talk about, even though, like I said, at the start of this episode and last week, I kind of love this movie. I hated Logan Marshall Green in it. Oh, that's... Okay, yeah. He's, that's the he's, the, he's the goofy fucking idiot. Like the scene where he's like, oh, my watch. I looked at my watch for one second. It says there's an atmosphere. Boom, my helmet's off. I'm like, this is the most cliche bullshit I've ever seen to make the plot continue forward, you know? Look at the CO2 levels. Outside, it's completely toxic. And in in here, there's nothing. It's breathable. What are you doing? Charlie, don't be an idiot. Don't be a skeptic. Right? There's something generating an atmosphere. David? Dr. Holloway is correct. Cleaner than Earth, actually. They were terraforming here. Please, don't do that. Look, Ellie, Ellie, Ellie I'm not wearing this thing anymore. Oh, Wish me luck, baby. Do not remove your head here. I hated how goofy he was, and I probably liked Prometheus more for the fact that Charlize Theron burns him to death. Yeah, because I was like, "Thank God, this idiot, this fucking good," because he's a he's a scientist for two minutes, he's a goofy motherfucker for five minutes, and then he's a sick loser who wants to die for another five minutes. And I'm like, "What the? What's the point of this other than to enunciate?" the goal of Numi Rapace in Dr. Elizabeth Shaw. And that was one of the problems I had with Prometheus, even though I liked it a lot, loved it a lot. He was one of the things that felt cliche to me, for sure. And I wanted to talk to you about Logan Marshall Green being this goofy scientist who, at the moment, he doesn't get what he wants because they only explored 1% of this cavern, he starts to get drunk as hell. And I'm like, man, man, that's not a scientist. That's not a dedicated person that would sit in a cryopod for three years. You're, you're a child, right? Yeah, his character's wonky, but that's like, that's just one of many problems with this movie. Is it like there like a lot? Like, I would, I would ev- say it's one of three problems with this movie. <laughs> well, most of the characters in this movie are really unlikable. The whatever his name is, uh, the, the the two guys that go off into the thing together, and the one that's not the one that you like. Oh, the, the yeah. Guy well, the... one of them, one of them is Race Ball, Mister uh, Ten Million Dollars Dinosaur Man. Uh, the other one, I don't have his name down, but he is the Swedish actor, I believe, who's like He's let's the, get the, the bad fuck guy. Out of here. Yeah, the, the bad guy in the Mission Impossible movies now. Yes. Um. Yeah, like I said, their whole thing, like they they go they 
want to leave and they end up somehow lost in there. Like that doesn't make sense. Like get me wrong. This no, movie I, I think has I, I love that. I love the fact that they broke away from the group. They broke away from David, the person who clearly is masterminding the whole thing and they're gonna get lost. I, I really like that aspect. Except except for the fact that the, the Swedish guy is in charge of the mapping droids. He it's his technology. Mm-hmm. He he's an expert on mapping and he gets lost despite that, the fact that I didn't think about that. That's a good point that the Swedish dude lets out the droids to map the place, but then later on when Ildr- Idris Elba is talking to them to know where they are, it's ten million dollars a dinosaur man responding. That I'll give you that. That's a fair point. I didn't think of that till now. There's and this movie has weird things like that. Even like when they take their helmets off. Like think about it. they keep if you have that same sequence and they keep well, that's their helmets my on. Problem with the movie but, is that scene but my, where Logan Marshall Green I takes know, his helmet. I know. Which but I the mentioned. Thing is yeah. that, but if you but if you play that scene out and they keep their helmets on, the events of the movie happen the exact same way. Yes. Yes. So it's literally just a scene that I guess is supposed to show that they're reckless. Oh well, I think I think reckless might be a oversimplification. Maybe since it's Logan Marshall Green as one of the head scientists leading this mission, I've kind of rationalized that as curiously reckless. That that doesn't make it a lot better, but maybe it makes it a little better because he he wants to be in this space that this is what their journey was for. And Rob is saying this very questioningly because it deserves a high level of questionability. <laughs> sure, of course. Like I get it. Like it's obviously it was it was a conscious decision by the filmmakers to include that. Um, again, you have to accept it. It's a creative decision just because it doesn't make sense. It's like okay, but it's not like a. It's not a a. It's a dumb decision within the context of the narrative of the story. It's not a dumb decision as in the sure. character whose job it is to map the cave gets lost. You're, so you're, you're saying they could have kept their helmets on the whole time and nothing would have changed. It's a narrative choice, not a plot hole. That's yeah, the thing and it even, it even makes no sense at the end with, with uh, Guy Pierce and old man makeup where they're like, you would take your helmet off. He goes, what? You can take your helmet off, and he yep. does, and it's like, what the? Who, yeah, who cares? You know? Yeah, like I said, I get it. Like, I, I again, that's their choice; they can do whatever they want. But that's the sort of stuff I'm fine with. Dumb decisions. It's kind of like the equivalent of go like watching the characters in a horror movie. It's like, well, don't go like, down I, the stairs. I think the the overall idea, at least doing that, you know, because we'll, we'll get into it. Of course, the thematic elements of this movie, but. It, it it's kind of showing that the engineers and the humans are the same. Whether mm-hmm. or not they're the same species, they're from the same material with the whole, you know, genetic DNA matchup that we get about an hour and 10 minutes in versus the same atmosphere that they breathe. And we get the great, um, I'm pretty sure her name is Kate Dixon or Kate Dickey, the, uh, the, the, the Scottish lady who's the, sure. the medical expert. She's like, you can breathe out here. It's even cleaner than Earth's atmosphere. And I know for our audience, yes, that was a terrible Scottish accent on Rob's end. But but I think that's that's what Ridley Scott's going for. And and if anything mm-hmm. in this series and our fourth episode of it, we know that always Ridley Scott doesn't isn't able to hit the nail on the head. But I'm I'm more willing to chalk that up to the the thematic and creative elements of this movie. 
because, you know, once again, I, I really enjoyed this movie and it makes me able for that fact to look over some of those discrepancies. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. That's just, I'm, I'm just pointing it out for the sake of this. Again, I don't think this yeah, movie's yeah, perfect. Absolutely. I think, I think, I think it has its problems. No, it's not um, perfect. And, and, and we haven't even gotten to the scene that makes it not perfect, but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, but no, like I said, you want to. Spend some time on Alien Covenant because I prefer that film to this. A hundred to one. I I love yep. Covenant so much. That's where and, Zach and I switch. I think yes. <laughs> uh, but no, but this thing was Prometheus though. Um, there's there's stuff that's weird that like you get it. It's there. It's trying to be heady. It's a film that really is trying to prove how clever it is. I, like I you think, have. I don't think it's trying to be heady. I think it succeeds at being heady. I, well, it could be better at being heady. That's the problem. A lot of this feels half baked. Like oh, you I, have Charlize Theron, not... but like you have the dynamic between Charlize Theron and Michael Fassbender, and clearly they're supposed to be having a a, a sibling, a a, oh, a yeah. jealous oh, sibling oh, dynamic, and you really only get that in two scenes. Like instead of having, like they should have taken out the scene of Charlize Theron going up to the bridge and being like, and like an interest Elba responding with, "Hey, if you want to get some, you don't have to pretend to be interested well, in the map." It's like well, I, that. I was laughing. My I know. I know. Ass I know. I, I know. I know. You like that? Are scene, you a like, robot just, or do you want to fuck? <laughs> yeah, there's ways of having that sequence, like, like communicating that she's a real person, without making it so hokey that helps. Enhance the themes no, that they want no, to convey I, better. I I disagree completely because I I think the point of that scene was that we we never need to worry if Charlize Theron is a is a robot or not. We need to worry if the people heading this ship are a robot because the scene when you know we I, I have to say Idris Elba he's great. I've loved Idris Elba in everything I've seen him in. I've never seen The Dark Tower. That might be the exception <laughs> from what I've heard. Uh, he's solid but, in that. Okay, okay, right on. But Idris Elba, he has that little hand accordion, and he does this whole yep. little bit where he's like, this belonged to Stephen Stills. And I'm like, fucking great musical throwback, you know? And then he does the whole thing, well, hey, are you a robot or do you want to fuck? And she goes, come to my room in ten minutes. And then they go off and do that. The next scene is when Mr. $10 million dinosaur man I know, I know. tries to reach out to the ship. And I think that's a great... Uh, that's one of the things I loved about this movie that the reason they don't learn about this threat earlier is because two people were fucking that's awesome I that's, that's the human condition but, but that I know but that's not what the film is about in that sense like okay they but the no, thing but, about this movie it is well it is well, about the human condition okay. I know but the film the problem is the movie's trying to do so much and it's kind of it bites off more than it can chew I think it's like this it's tr- is a, a complete contrast to Blade Runner 2049 where Rob hated all of it where here rob loves all of it <laughs> that's well sure that's fine like i i'm, I'm kind of like, there's a part of me that really wants to delve into the beep boop trash can of all this because i'm really fascinated how you're going to dissect but we'll save that more for alien covenant yeah, dissecting oh, yeah, walter have, yeah. versus david david does not make a true appearance until covenant for sure yeah um but no that's uh again i have problems with this movie i'm trying to again it's like even like I mean, more maybe more toward the end is when it becomes like a real like it tries to be an alien movie again and it kind of doesn't work like again like she kills the squid creature that comes out of her womb and at the end well, of the film inca- it somehow gro- it. yeah well it's supposed to be because we see we see we see the the med pod or med bay spray it with all this weird like with, what with decontamination oh. yeah it, it stops moving. 
Of course. And then at the what end of the film, do? it's you somehow. Know, if you're a baby I, and you get I, I know. shit, you're going to stop moving. I know, but it's somehow, it's, it's still able to grow. That's yeah, the thing. Because decontamination does not stop cellular growth. It uh, makes perfect I know. sense. I know, but it stops moving, and that impli- and visually that implies death. No. If you're spraying no. something, if you're spraying something hostile with white decontaminant spray, and it stops moving, visually that communicates to the audience death. Oh, I disagree. I disagree completely. We have, then many, okay. If I, that's, we, if I that's could go not, back. I could do a hey kids right now and talk about so many movies we've seen somebody stop moving, but no, they're still alive. I'm not talking about stop moving. It's the idea of spraying it with something that's. Just think about it. We have the thing. Contaminant. It's not it poisonous or, or that, anything. And that, but it's supposed to kill. It's supposed to kill stuff, though. That's the whole point. It's just to kill bacteria, and that's what this thing is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a virus. No, it's not. Ba- it's a foreign body that is the evolution of then, humanity. Then it shouldn't have stopped moving when they sprayed it. Or if you're going to include that scene, there should be another scene in the med thing where Charlize Theron goes near it and she sees something flailing in her med tube and then she runs away. There should have been an additional scene communicating to the audience that it wasn't dead. You need you needed to keep moving or you needed to add a scene. You got it. Can you got it. Can we go back to our deep philosophical talks where I don't disagree with you as much as this? <laughs> hey, Rob, you you know I'm right. There should have been, you got to communicate things no. to the audience. I, Rob, you can you can file this under you disagree, but you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah, I know this this whole series kind of brought it up. Zach makes a good point, but I don't like it. Yes, there you go. <laughs> you can file it under that. You don't have to agree with me. You just have to acknowledge it. Um, but no, that's one of those things that's always bothered me. In the end, too, like the, like the thing that really kind of makes it dumb. I always kind of hated this was that the fact that like out of the engineer at the end comes in. Rob, I'm not sure if Rob knows this. Do you know the name of the creature that comes out of the engineer? It has a very specific uh, name. Is it the neomorph? No, the neomorph is alien covenant. A covenant. Okay, so but this isn't a, Z, a xenomorph because it's like the baby version, right? It's it's well, this is the thing that I've always never understood about alien covenant. The creature that comes out of the engineer at the end of Prometheus is called the Deacon. Oh, I I did not know that. I you want to know how I know that? Why I know that? Deep, intensive research and interviews with no. creative forces behind this movie. God damn no. it! No, no. At because this movie came out while I was in college, and that following like fall, they had Prometheus toys. And they had one, and it was called the Deacon, and it was of that creature. Oh, and I'm like, see, I guess that's what they're, I guess that's what they're calling it now. See, why do I have to talk to Zach? That makes me upset. I love the fact that the last scene of this movie is our first alien xenomorph coming out of the because because that's another thing I loved about this movie is that you know um, somebody gets inflicted, multiple people get inflicted by this uh, pathogen. By this this creature, and it turns the the one dude into a uh, dead hot race ball, uh, Mister Ten Million Dollar Dinosaur Man. It just kills him. It turns the next dude into a big bloated brute of a creature that attacks the ship, and then it finally takes this this higher power, the engineer that we know, to birth a more sophisticated creature. And hell, now that I'm saying that, that's why it could be the Deacon. If this is a prequel to Alien, this is the first xenomorph structure prequel that we get. 
and that's what a deacon is, like a, like a beacon, like a, a deacon of a church, the head of the church, the, the foreseer for that entity. You, you kind of told me except, I didn't like it, but now I've talked myself into liking it. <laughs> except for the fact that that character or creature is still sitting on that planet. True. Continuity-wise, well, well, I think that gets back into something we'll have to talk about in Cinemonies at Late Night. Why I think this works so well as a prequel is that it doesn't directly tie into the nonsense of the rest of it. Because, hell, if you, if you want to jump ahead that far, the engineer in terms of this movie is the higher life form. Humans, even though they're only a few years past what we know in 2020, I think, what, 20, 90, it, uh, 2077, 89 or, 89 or 70, whatever, that's when Prometheus takes place. We're not that more evolved than we are as humans now. It takes this engineer, this great being, to birth this deacon, this grand indestructible being that Ian Malcolm talks about in Alien, which I think is 2500 or something like that. That that makes sense to me that you need a more evolved life form to birth from the face hugger or the you know orifice inducer a more sophisticated being. I love that idea. Well, sure, that's fine. Like I said, like I like again, it, it feels a little. I don't want to say it's it, again. It, it's very okay. I'm not gonna get into this. If people want to hear this argument, go listen to the private parts episode. I think that, and the same way I thought the private parts <laughs> was was was, was good meant analogy. to be was meant to be a gotcha, like a, like a Carrie esque ending, the movie Carrie, the original. I think it's very similar in this. They're trying Where to sit Rob there. Rob is basically like, this is the most meaningful thing ever to be put. Yes, down. <laughs> and I. And I and I and I think it's the equivalent of Joss. They they thought they had a cheap scare and they went with it because it was iconic. It's 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 easily palatable for the audience. But it was actually um, about have... the uh, correction of sexuality uh, for a yes. main character. But yeah, no, yes, that, exactly. I, that's actually a really good point that you bring up, Zach, because we could argue this to death, but we have more to talk about. So um, that's a great analogy. I'm actually with you, Zach. If anybody wants to hear Rob and Zach get at this similar idea between. Uh, movie magic and thematic magic. Private parts is a great example. Yes. Um, I'm trying to go outside. Well, again, uh, Prometheus. Uh, I think it, I thought it was funny that Benedict Wong was in there. I think it's fascinating. They have all these kind of like actors at the time were nobodies, relative nobodies. Yeah, that were like I crew guess. members on the bridge of the ship. And my favorite being Alien Covenant, where we have Juicy Small Yay. Like I'm like, oh. and, and, he, and, and he died again, not to jump too far ahead, but in Alien Covenant, he dies in one of the most satisfying ways possible, considering like, uh, after you know what's happened to him and like <laughs> what he's done in real life, it's like, you know what? Yeah. Very satisfying on screen death. Small yay. <laughs> yes. Good old juicy small yay. I think, um, I think I'm with you that I do want to move to Covenant. I did want to mention, um, there, there was two things I think left in. Um, other than my love for this movie, the things that I had to complain about it, uh, I would have loved even a modicum, a, a, a raindrop, a pinprick uh -oh. of Numi Rapace not being able to have children before it's dropped onto us like a bag of bricks. I hate the scene where Logan Marshall Green comes in drunk and goes, ah, oh, 
anybody can create life. They just need a dash of DNA and half a brain. And it cuts the camera cuts to her face going, I can't create life. What does that say about me? And I'm like, fuck you. Like, no, like that's where this movie kind of fails on some of the levels where it doesn't set it up enough for me. Like I would have loved in that opening scene when, you know, they're on earth and they're finding that last mural of the engineers. And she says it's an invitation. I would have loved that there was a hint even that she was infertile, but they drop it on us like a bag of bricks just to re reverse it in the scene. Two scenes later where David's like, you're pregnant, you're three months pregnant. Oh, we're going to have a crazy baby. (laughs) And it's like, that went way too fast. Did you have any comments on that? Yeah, that that scene is so it's, stupid. It's clunky. Right? It's, Anybody can yeah. create life. You just have to be a fucking idiot. And she goes, Ooh! and she like breaks down sobbing. And I'm like, what the fuck? But here's what we do know: is that there is nothing special about the creation of life, right? Anybody can do it. I mean, all you need is a dash of DNA and half a brain, right? I can't. I can't create life. What does that say about me? Ellie, that's not, I didn't mean, I wasn't talking about... Children? Us. Like, By tell me this is any easier way. I don't know why you even need that. You need that moment. Why, well, why does she need to have needs that? that? The movie needs that moment, Zach. I will tell you that it's necessary. Because like we talked about last week, the the theme of that movie that I felt was impregnation of species not just female versus male the theme of this movie which i really like is that it's not about creating life for yourself it's about finding the answers to why life can be created and i would have loved more setup for that scene because it's talking about wow why can some women not create life but like in the opening scene this bald pale dude can drink a liquid and literally create life for an entire planet. That that's that's why this movie works so well as a prequel because not only does it get at the origins of what we saw in Alien, it gets at the origins of the notion of Alien. It's not about who can get pregnant, it's about why we can get pregnant. And that's why I think I loved it so much. I love the fact that you got uh Numi Rapace saying why do we exist? Why were we created? And why can't I create life? Versus Wayland, uh, the the Mandarin in old man makeup, not being able to live long enough. And it's such a great juxtaposition of the two fundamental answers to say, if I find my creators, what am I going to ask them? You're going to ask them one of two questions. Why did you create us? Or why did you make us finite? And I, I love that thematic idea of Prometheus. So I think that I think that scene is necessary, but I needed it to be set up more than a sad woman in one in one scene an hour and five minutes into the movie. If only they wouldn't have devoted screen time to Charlize Theron and Idris Elba having implying they'd be having sex. Well, that's I mean, my you know, problem. If you, you know, you that's don't, my, you, if you don't get that, you don't get Stephen Stills' little hand but, accordion. I know, but the but the problem though is that like this movie should have picked three or four themes and focused on them. 
Yeah, like yeah. If, it, like, if it focused more on the creation aspect on a grander level, I would have been even more into it for sure. That's what I mean. Like this film needs to learn how to prioritize. Like, you know, like think about it. like we have a scene of your two characters who you love early on, and like the one guy's like, "Oh hi, I'm so and so," and Swedish man's like, "I'm not your buddy. I'm here. I'm only here for money." And yep. in the moment, like, and there's things like that where it's like, what, well, like, like the problem is like you're setting up animosity between them. But after that, they're really not hostile to each other ever. Again. They're buddy buddy when they're trapped in the tunnels. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, it. Doesn't make sense. So cut that scene, or, or don't even film that scene. Give that time, that exposition to some other yeah. plot point. I'm, that, I'm with you there because even we get that scene later on um, when when the video of Wayland when he says he's dead is talking and he's like, "You two scientists, you know, um, Logan Marshall Green and Numir Pace, come up, tell them about your your thesis and why we're here." And that same guy that you just mentioned is like, well, how do you know? And Numi Rapace is like, I choose to believe. And you get that whole motivation of the cross that she wears later on that there's, you know, almost this idea. And and that's, I'm with you, Zach. This is where I wanted the movie to thrive even a little more is there was just touches, maybe, maybe little pokes of can science and faith exist in the same universe, but they never fleshed it out enough to me to actually grab grapple onto it. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. I, that's, that's, that, that's the problem with this movie is that there are things that should have prioritized over others. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And can I tell you one more thing, Zach? Uh, I'm barren. I can't get pregnant. And that makes me sad. <laughs> no offense to anybody who's infertile in the audience. I'm making fun of the movie, not you. Uh, the last, I, I said there were two things I wanted to bring up. That was the first scene that really bothered me. The second scene that really bothered me uh, was at the end of the movie where Charlize Theron and Wayland have their moment. And he's like, I need to cheat death. Ha ha ha. And she goes, I never wanted you to come on this mission. Father. And the music swells like it's supposed to be this big reveal. And I'm like, what the fuck does this have to do with any part of this movie? Like, who cares if she's related to him? Like, I get the whole scene when her and David face off after David talks to him in the cryo sleep stasis chamber. And that's the um, uh, line I mentioned at the start of the movie or at the start of this episode when she like rushes David and goes, I will find the cord that makes you run and I will cut it. Which is a great line. I love that scene. My God, I will find the cord that makes you run, and I will cut it. But I, I just thought that once you started to get the notion that David is the is the bad guy, David is the mastermind to some extent of this whole expedition. I, I kind of realized that well, it's obvious that Wayland is still alive, the Mandarin, and it's obvious that Charlize wa- Theron is related to him, right? He wasn't the Mandarin yet, Rob. That was next summer. Well, I, I mean, that's the next movie when he goes, David, bring me the tea, because I'm the Mandarin. <laughs> In the I'm the Mandarin. I'm the Mandarin. You're looking right at him. It was always me, Tony, right from the start. I am the Mandarin. <laughs> but but I, this, this was another example of stupid movie cliches where the movie plays it like a big reveal and I'm just like, either it was obvious or it's irrelevant. And it was kind of both in this case. Like I always got the sense from the start of like the, not even, I'm not even saying my repeat viewing the first time I watched Prometheus, 
they make a big deal going, Charlize Theron lives in a lifeboat. Like, this can be ejected from the ship at any time to save not only her, not only the great artifacts of her living residence, but also the med pod that is made for men, not females. I'm like, this is fucking clear that this was a, a safety net for the big bad of the movie, be it David or Wayland. And I hate that cliche where the movie thinks it should be a big reveal when I've known about it and thought everybody else knew about it. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I think I think I haven't said that in a while on this podcast, but that comes up uh, like more often than not where a movie like in the last 15 minutes, there'll be this big climax, the musical sweat, the musical sweat, a uh, swell. And I'll go, wait, we, we didn't know that already. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when it ever happens, and especially in a movie, I love this much. That's been getting me going with the, with the removal of Numi Rapace's, you know, organism from her stomach. Great scene. When we get the scene, when they, you know, they get the engineer's head and they charge it with the shocks to, to, to get it to like open up its mouth, but it blows up. I'm like, oh, I love it. I'm so on board. And then the big reveal isn't any of that shit. It's that she's his daughter. And I'm like, that that's irrelevant. Like, like children are irrelevant in the grand scheme. It's not about finding our creators for our children. It's finding our creators that made us, you know? And that's where I think I'm with you, Zach, is that this movie might have picked too many themes to hit on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because I get it. You know, I don't think it's lost on either of us. If people, humans, are going on this interstellar space travel expedition to find their creators, the children of those humans have to play a role in it as well. But they never did anything to make me think that that was meaningful to the themes of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you mean. Yep. And then the last note I have, uh, which I already mentioned, uh, the scene where they wake up the engineer is yes. fucking awesome. I love, I love when David, Michael Fassbender Android, says some weird language and it kind of pets his head and then just rips it off. I'm like totally on board for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I, I just remember seeing that in the theater and that was fun. That's, that's a delight. He beats... Old man Guy Ritchie make up to death with him. Yes. With Michael Fassbender's head. Yes, and, and Guy Ritchie, and they're laying on the ground, and of course it does the great shot where Michael Fassbender's head gets put right next to Guy Ritchie's body, and Guy Ritchie is like, there's nothing, you know? that This is it, there's nothing. And Michael Fassbender's like, I know! You didn't need to tell me. Like, you gave me inevitable life. Of course there's nothing after for humans. Oh, I love it. I love that stuff. And and I guess before we move on to Covenant is one of the reasons is why I love Prometheus as a sequel. Like I already mentioned, it answers some questions, but not all. I'm 100% on board with the fact that that giant kind of whole space shuttle seat lifts up and our engineer gets in it. And that's what we see in Alien, the original when he's in that big kind of gun-looking seat, and when they find him, the space jockey, you know, chest bursted out. That that's that's what I love. I don't I don't want anybody to tell me, you know, that that what they're doing with it. Now I know it's a ship. This engineer got in this ship, 
and somehow something stopped him on the planet LV-436 in Alien. I I love that fact. And if, if we ever did a podcast, Zach, well, I guess if I ever did a podcast with somebody other than Zach, we would talk a lot about Lost. And that's why I love Lost. When they answer questions, they just give you answers to slight visuals, never to anything truly meaningful. And I think that's what Prometheus did. It told us a little bit about what this ship they encountered in Alien was, but it never really gave us the full story. And like I said last week, now that I've seen Prometheus again, I don't even know. I might get a lot of hate mail. I think Alien benefits. I like Alien better now that I've seen Prometheus. Hot take. Uh, like, I don't know. That's just not my... Uh... No, I, I prefer, I, like, I, I like looking at the space jockey and not knowing what the hell it was I was looking at, as opposed to, oh, it was tall albino man sitting in his cockpit I, chair. I, you're, you're not wrong. I loved it, too. I love that there's that, I don't think we talked about it last week, but there's that tiny little line of dialogue where they go into the space jockey and they say, wow, it looks like something burst him open from the inside. And, of course, that's foreshadowing for John Hurt in the movie. But now we kind of have a little more detail to it that doesn't answer it completely because they're not the same ship. It's 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 great. I I love that stuff where they just give us a twinge of information without actually giving us a full shot of it. Oh, I love that. I love that shit. It's like when it's like in the, when they do time travel and Lost when you know you have that scene in the first season when Claire's giving birth and oh, there's God. a shot there's a shot nonsense. where Kate. In the first season, there's a shot where Kate is helping Claire give birth, and she hears a noise in the jungle, and she looks up, and she looks into the distance, and she's like, oh my god, is is it one of the others? Like, are they coming for this baby like they have earlier in the season? But there's nobody there, as far as they can tell, and Claire gives birth, and we get Aaron, you know, that whole type of thing. And then fucking three seasons later, it's revealed that it was Sawyer traveling through time watching her give birth to Aaron and um, it's like it's like that that's so satisfying to me and i understand why it might not be satisfying to people but that's the shit i live for where the thing that answers a question you never knew you needed an answer to is so tiny and minute and it just asks more questions why is sawyer traveling through time why did the island become unstuck in that moment in time Oh, it's amazing to me, Zach. And Prometheus did that to me for Alien. I love it. I'm kind of shocked that for years I had people telling me Prometheus was garbage, and I ended up loving it. It's <laughs> is surprising. I think that you are a rare case in this instance. I, I absolutely am. And uh, I hope that uh, our audience uh, can love me still for it. <laughs> <laughs> That was the last thing I wanted to say about Prometheus, and I think that everything else that has to be said about Prometheus gets covered in Covenant, right? Yes. One final thing I think I should mention, um, when it comes when Prometheus came out, they actually had a bunch of, I think when the movie first came out, they had the two action figures, they had the engineer, and they had him like, I don't want to say naked, but like like, when you see them like more like walking around without the flight suit. Or like that opening scene when he's in in the robe type of thing. Well, yeah, they had. I think it's. I think they're both wearing the flight suits. That the one comes with like the head, like the normal head. The other one has like the cockpit or like okay. the yeah, the helmet or the helmet with the suit. And then they released the Deacon and David, 
and for the longest time, like the Prometheus figures never sold. Like, like they just kind of sat on shelves to the point where they had the David figure. I think it was clearance down to like twelve dollars. And I kept being like, eh, I really don't like this movie that much. And like, and I'm like, I really don't like it. But I'm like, I like the idea of having a Michael Fassbender toy. But I eventually decided to get. I think I think eventually I was gonna buy it, and it just it wasn't there anymore. I'm like, oh well. Like I was I was kind of on the fence. Cool. So I'm, no no sure. nothing lost. And then like now like that day because uh, anyway I'm sorry the first part of the story continue the first part the the Prometheus there must be more Prometheus figures they were gonna do Vickers Shaw and Fifield. Fifield okay. being the um, it's funny. I can't think of the character's name when talking about the movie, but when it comes to the toys, it, they, all the characters' names come back immediately. Well, Fifield's um, the one that goes crazy and attacks yeah, the ship. Ang- angry and, Swedish man. And Ford is the uh, Scottish woman that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, no toys of her though, because nobody cares about her. Uh, uh, well, but I, mean, I remember I mean, they were gonna. I make... didn't really care about her, but she had a great accent. That's a beautiful accent. <laughs> sure, but they were gonna make toys of these three characters, and they didn't. The line got canceled because of lack of interest. And but like I think it was about three years ago. I guess there was enough interest with Alien Covenant that they actually made those three characters. So I have the Shaw figure somewhere. Nice. I have Elizabeth Shaw. Um, You have have Elizabeth Salander. Yes, I can. You have the girl with the dragon tattoo, right on. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, But the thing, the fun thing, though, is that like after Alien Covenant came out, everybody wanted a David figure, and they weren't making David like like, they like Neca. This was Neca, and Neca's like we're not making any more figures. Like you're getting like when it comes to Alien Covenant, you're not getting any human characters. You're just getting the the Xenomorph, the Neomorph. I think they had this like this weird sort of like accessories pack. It was really like it, it was more childish, but. For some reason, they thought that was going to sell. And the David figure that was like five years earlier, not even like, like I think it was still there, like my senior year of college. So like it was like, like two, almost two years after the movie came out that was going for like $12 on clearance at FYE. Remember, folks, mix and burn. And yes. now like at the time, this was like three years ago. I haven't checked since. It was going for like $120. Oh, man. Yeah. So it just goes to show, folks, that some of these figures are not all like like landfill fodder. Like some of this stuff actually does have some like they could be worth something. And that's one of those times where, uh, oh god, it was even a, a, a little bit of a sidetrack when it came comes to Fye and figures that are worth money. They remember they had Pacific Rim figures, and there was one figure that literally was seventeen dollars, and within a year, I think it was worth like a hundred and fifty. And it Man. wasn't like it wasn't collectible, like in the sense like it wasn't like limited edition or anything like that. It was just something that like was really popular, and they didn't make a lot of because at that point they didn't know how popular Pacific Rim was going to be, like sure. like for that audience. Oh, yeah. and but yeah, no, it's a it's a really strange thing. I remember seeing I remember like seeing that figure on eBay like within a year for like one hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm like I remember seeing those like on the shelf like three of them for like seventeen dollars each, being like again, how would you know? Like I. Who would have sat there invested like sixty dollars in something like that? But no, it's just weird weird aside. Um, but yeah, like Alien Covenant. Uh, Alien Covenant, I guess peek behind the curtain. I like I um not peek behind the curtain, just delve right into it. Um I, I, I think, love I think the best what? way that I wanted to start it was you said to me, I think even before we were discussing Alien as as a part of this series, before it was Ridley Scott revisits, I think for a fact you told me this is a really goofy movie. Like you, you've oh, always yeah. thought this was kind of, you know, not to jump the gun and not to predict what you're going to say, but the way that you've talked to me about this movie before Zach, it, it sounds like it's a cinemodities in your eyes. 
I don't know about that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like I said, I don't, um, I don't want to predict it, but you've always told me it was goofy. And when goofy, I watched yeah. it, when I, I guess just uh, for a peek behind the curtain on my end, when we were deciding even to do this double feature, because I watched Prometheus and I was like, Zach, I loved it. I want to talk about it. He was like, well, check out Covenant, see if we can do them both. And I watched only the first 20 minutes, which basically ends with James Franco burning to death in his cryostasis chamber. And I was like, I'm on board. <laughs> Uh, okay, context to, uh, to Alien Covenant. So, like, did, okay, Alien... did mention uh, Danny McBride is in this. Yes, I think we yes. said that early. Yes, good old Kenny yes. Powers himself. We did not mention Kelly Hernandez in this movie, though. Do you know who Kelly? Okay, Zach, Kelly Hernandez is the woman that dies with Juicy Smollett in that shower scene. Mm. And of course, as you should know, Zach. She has the fantastic small supporting role in the last 20 minutes as Millicent Sevens in Under the Silver Lake. Cue Zach's eyes rolling, and now give it back over to him to give the context. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I remember, again, I don't remember a lot about this movie leading into it. I remember, like, they're making another alien movie being like, eh, like, eh. Like, I really didn't know what to make of it. Like, uh, the yeah. teaser posters are really bland. I think the first teaser poster was the first piece of marketing we got. It's just literally the xenomorph coming out of the sh uh, shadows. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, here we go right back. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to it's gonna be exactly what you think it is. It's kind of like the tagline to the horror film pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> and I remember, like, being like, okay. And they released another poster. The next poster was really cool. Like, it is a really neat poster image for, like, Alien. Especially, like, how it tied in Prometheus. And I'm like, okay, I'm on board. And then I remember, like, prior to that even, like, I was like, I was always curious. Because I knew, like, people weren't happy with Prometheus. And I was interested. And plus, I don't think Prometheus made a lot of money. Like, it made money, but just not, like, it barely broke even, I think. That, that's what did. I read, yeah. Yeah, yeah it barely broke even. So I'm like, okay, where are they going to go with this? They've got a course correct. They've got it. Box office moderate is what I wrote in my notes when I did that research. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, so you have that. And I remember, like, being like, oh, like, it's new me repaid. Like, I, all the stuff, like, one of the first things of, like, like, information i heard was like on casting this is before the posters and stuff and it was oh like michael fassbender's back I and mean, it's like okay that's a good sign like he's the best part of the movie i'm on board and then like i remember hearing that like oh like the lead actress for like, i didn't know who Catherine waterson was at the time so i'm like that's not new me rapace and like how she like Catherine waterson was being described it's like oh the lead of the next alien film and i'm like okay this is interesting and then like i remember a while on the internet people being like so wait like what's the deal with do we repace like what's happening here and then i think it was like maybe like at this point the marketing had already begun like there was trailers and stuff and like two months beforehand like like one of the hollywood traits like oh new me repace is re like reprising her role as dr elizabeth shaw in alien covenant and it's like okay cool like maybe they're keeping it a secret because this is like after like interstellar and it's like oh maybe they're doing another, like one of those things where they're trying to keep her role like really maybe she has some really big like important part in this but but and, asterisk right yeah but asterisk right um we'll get to that <laughs> and so like okay so like i'm getting ready for the film and they release all these prologue videos on youtube and i'm like oh okay like i watched all three of them and it's like this is neat like like, yeah, it's like, wow, like, I didn't even know James Franco was in this movie. And then, like, I watched, I, okay, this is one of my famous movie, like, theater-going experiences. Okay, so this came out, like, in mid to late May of 2017. 
Yeah. This is when Zach was still high on the idea of going to like opening night showings, and Rob because was just like, high. yes, <laughs> I, had be- to, I be- had to throw that in there, Zach. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> it's okay because the first like like opening night showing I'd gone to since I came back to New- uh, moved back to Poughkeepsie was uh, Captain America: Civil War, and I had a fantastic like opening night showing like with the people. It was like one of those times where I was like, wow, this was neat. Then yeah. like I figured, oh, like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two came out that that next year in May. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do that. And where even though the people in line weren't that talkative, it was a really nice like crowd. Like in the, the it was a really good crowd to see a movie with. Nice. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe this is the trick to seeing like movies. Like because I love I again, people might not know it though, but I like I like people. But like George Carlin said, like in small doses, like minute, minute and a half, and I gotta get out of there. And so the I think okay, the archaic maybe, concept of seeing theaters, theater movies with people these days. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so like I'm gonna go to Alien Covenant opening night. Like I'm excited. I I really want to see this alien movie. I'm gonna see it with a good crowd. Let's see if it works with things that are non-Marvel related. Well, I should have known because all the crowd did was audibly react, but not like Avengers Infinity War react. They basically mock the film. Ooh. Like, like imagine Sal laughing at Watchmen level. Like that it was that sucks. they laughed. Like when we get to again, I know we're gonna talk at this at length, but when we got to I'll do the fingering, you would have thought it was the end of the world. And it wasn't it wasn't, I, uh, and it I wasn't that's, even, that's where I'm I'm with you, Zach. I do not think this is worth mocking. No, it's not even though I didn't like it as much as Prometheus and the headiness, this this is not worth mocking until years later. Because of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but yes, that's the thing. It's like I remember everybody laughing at that part and oh, just being sucks. like, and it wasn't even like Avengers Infinity War, like laughing, guffawing. It was like, or like with Avengers Infinity War, it's just a mindlessness <clears throat> that's yeah. permeating the crowd. This was uh, mean spirited. It was when we no, saw I wouldn't it. say yeah. I wouldn't say mob mentality. It was just mean spirited. Like it was, it was people spitting Ooh. on the movie. Ooh, okay, like and that's okay. and, and I thought it was so weird. Like why are you going to see a movie opening night if your intent is to spit on it? Like can't you do that when it comes to streaming? Like if you hate yeah. this thing for existing, can't, can't you do that when you go see uh, Revenge of Kitty Galore at, at two p.m.? You know that's when that is able to be done. <laughs> Not yes. opening night. I'm with you, man. Yeah, and that was one of those ones where I'm like, why are you doing this? And then that's when I finally kind of came to my conclusion that I wouldn't eventually learn the worst lesson with a year later with Avengers Infinity War <laughs> is that opening night crowds, with very few exceptions, mostly Star Wars, are there for a good time. They're not there for the film. They are there to have a good time. It just They just luck of the draw. They, they went out on a Thursday night, and that's what they saw. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that, that's a bummer to hear because this movie does not deserve that. No, it doesn't. And okay, but, but my thing on the movies, like I like, there's a thing I like in movies, and I think I've stated a couple of times here on cinema. Nudity. No, Rob likes nudity. Going back to oh, Friday oh, the Thirteenth, two thousand nine. I'm joking. <laughs> going back to Friday the Thirteenth, two thousand nine, when Rob was like, you know what, I have no interest nudity in this movie, but sh- I heard he's giving nudity. Nudity or sheer confusion. <laughs> that's what Rob yes. likes. Yes. So I remember. So like, I kind of didn't know. Like, like going into this, I have no memory of what my preconceived notions were. I knew I, I knew at this point I was staying away from uh, plot spoilers. And I, I b- before you, I just wanted to 
I just wanted to cover again. I don't know if you said this, but I wanted to know for myself, Zach, did you see these prologues? Yes. Before? Yes. Okay. So yes. you saw. Yes. Because earlier today you sent me two prologues. The third one, essentially, it's not. It wasn't relevant. It, it didn't I, matter. I did see all three. Oh. Okay. Just because of what you sent me, it connected me to the other one. But I just wanted to get, from my own knowledge, you saw all of yeah, them prior yeah, to seeing yeah. the film in theater. Yep. Okay. Yep. I, gotcha. I went in with all that because I uh, no, I because <clears throat> I saw it online. I think a lot of people, like the critics, were talking about it. like you need to kind of like it's really crazy to have to say this, but like you need to watch these in order to get the movie. And I I, I don't know if I believe that, but I understand that you might have been hearing that for sure. Well, you need it for that. You need the the dr shaw stuff like you need that like that should have been in the movie like it's shocking that is not that is not the actual the, pro- the crossing one where he yeah, where she yeah, repairs yeah that should be the prologue that should that should be the opening of the film well no half of that dialogue is in the film as we get it because because they cut it out and they put it in the film that's the problem right. they but they butcher- okay we'll, we'll get we'll get to that we'll get yes we'll get to that the prologue that you saw those prior to seeing the film in theaters. Yes. Okay. This lets you know the crossing. They put that was supposed to be the opening to the film, and they obviously reworked it into the like I'm, the middle. I'm of two glad thirds. they did. I don't think that would have worked as the opening. But of the it's film. but it's a it's it's a bookend. The film. The film. Think about it, the film ends with Catherine Waterston having the realization of what's going to happen to her, and the beginning of the film is the exact same thing happening to Shaw. It's literally well, it, no, it's, it's, no. The the crossing doesn't have what's happening to Shaw. We don't get that until the movie. The the. But the point is that you the, the crossing begins with her repairing David. Yeah. David talking about how much he appreciates her, and he's putting her to cryo sleep. And then the very next shot is of him going above the engineer's planet, and it cuts there. It cuts there without then, the knowledge that he's yes, doing I know, that. I know. That's where the discrepancy for me comes in. I know. Then you get like two thirds into the movie where he's telling Walter about what happened and he's flooding the city. And then like when Billy Crudup is walking through the caverns, he sees uh, the Shaw's mutilated, whatever you want to call it, experimented on body. That's the whole thing is that by the end of the film, when you see what he's doing with Catherine Watterson, it makes it all the, it makes that ending all the more potent. It's that it's not Uh ambiguous. It's showing, Oh God, Look at what she's in store for. No, it, she's per, not. It, it bookends. No, that, that makes me think that Catherine Waterston is a surrogate for Elizabeth Shaw from the first movie, and I don't think that jives at all. I, but I think it's the fact that it's, meant, it's supposed to add to the horror of what's about to happen to her. Is that he is good. Think about David's entire I think, thing. I think it works as it does, that last scene. Well, we'll get to I the th- last scene. I, I, it's okay, obvious it's, that they're going to yeah. switch places, but... I, I don't think that the, having her repair him, I think it, I think the film does it perfectly fine with her realizing uh, uh, Daniels, Catherine Waterston in this movie, re- finding out that Elizabeth Shaw wasn't killed in the crash w- w- was just another genetic experiment. I think that does it fine. We, we don't need that scene. I, th- I thought the prologue was a prologue through and through. We didn't need that in the movie. I'm glad it got cut. Uh, disagree. Disagree on a personal level. I agree with you objectively. It's probably not necessary, though. But on a personal level, I would have preferred it. Welcome to Cinemodities. <laughs> I I want more. I want more Numi Rapace in the movie, other than just literally like a, a prop. Uh, on no, table. it was fine. We didn't need her at all. We only needed David because David is the only perpetual life. I know, but she but she literally is in the pro- she's in the prologue for twenty seconds. They could have kept her there. No. No, this no. movie, considering that it's a sequel to Prometheus, owes some level of connectivity to what her role is. No, like, fine. 
No, that's where I disagree wholeheartedly is that that's why it's going to be a great sequel to Prometheus, prequel to Alien, is that we need less connectivity. Just like I said earlier, we need less things answered, more doors opened. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't care. Going into the movie, I thought yes. my thing was like I sat there. I I, I remember loving it from the very beginning because I love the sequence of of Walter going around doing his shtick or doing his his routine. And you have I, I always love this in movies and anything in life where something goes wrong and the characters have to handle it. And there's like emergency procedures. I love that. I love this the oh, whole thing yeah, of like that was, he's yes and he's running around like barking b- barking stuff at mother. He's like mother, I awaken the crew. And I I'm not sure Rob obviously obviously picked up on this. And I was shocked you, that like can you can you deploy the recharge sails and then uh mother uh, De- uh walter there is coming a neutrino blast retract the sails but- we can't okay emergency evacuate the crew or awaken the crew i'm like oh i'm like throw me into a movie please thank you <laughs> yes and the thing <clears> that i'm to this day i'm like i looked at a couple of reviews for this back when it came out three years ago almost three years ago and nobody picked up on the fact <clears throat> at least in the reviews that i um read that he's doing a Lance Henriksen Bishop impersonation. Yes, that's that's the only reason that I I, I I'm so glad you bring this up because I was going to bring it up. One of my notes is literally, you know, I watched Prometheus and then a few days later I watched uh, Covenant, and one of my notes for this recording was. I don't know if I like Fassbender playing Walter so far. I I loved his performance, physical and vocal, as David in Prometheus. But now he's playing this gruffness. And I don't know if it's doing it for me. But as those first few scenes played out, I got that Bishop sense. And this is where I have to kind of, you know, it's not bite the bullet. It's uh, eat my tongue, maybe, is the right way for it. They are paying homage to an alien film that I hate in a good way. Mm. And I, I'm, I, I'm going to be the first one to say Aliens by James Cameron is still a hot piece of garbage. But you need to accept it for what it is as part of the sequel. I'm, not, I'm never going to be somebody who says throw out that stuff. I know Zach and I have talked about that on Cinematis before. You can't ignore sequels and prequels. I, I that's what kind of grew me to love the Walter character. And when I got to the end of the film, when Walter and David are interacting, you know, my first bit of Rob's cynical brainwaves was going, oh, that's why they're doing voices so we can tell them apart. But that's not the point. The point is that they're playing different eras of androids. Mm-hmm. And and I think this gets to what something you said earlier, which I know you might not want me to bring up, but I had to bring up the beat boop trash cans. (laughs) These movies do it right. I know last week I talked about Ash, Ian Holm, being the android. He did it right in terms of you. once you know he's an android, you go back, watch the movie, it all fits and it all makes sense. These movies make it clear that these characters are not human very early on, and they never stray from that conundrum. You know, we never get human aspects of these things. My only complaint would be in one of the establishing shots of Prometheus, before the audience literally knows that David is an android, he's eating soup. 
Why the fuck would a robot need to eat soup when he is just waiting over, you know, cryostasis chambers? But Alien Covenant does this really well. And I, I, I think, once again, it's kind of amazing. Star Wars gets a hard F for beep-boop trash cans. Thomas the Tank Engine and Alien franchise gets an A-plus for beep-boop trash cans. Beep-boop trash can. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Zach. I think with what you said, I'm, I'm completely with you on this aspect. Walter Good. is a, a great character, not only as a foil to David, as we get in the second half of the film, but as, as much as I hate the twist or saw it coming, as a mechanic, a plot mechanic, for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, uh, I, 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 I kind of got off track there for a second. I don't, um, I don't know if you want to jump ahead, but I, I, I no, gotta... no, 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 I I gen- after we watch I remember loving him when I watched this in theaters. I remember when I got this on Blu-ray. I remember loving him. And I have not picked up this movie probably in at least a couple of years. Well, did you love him more than David? Oh yeah, I love the character of Walter. Walter is everything after I want. After watching from- both of these movies, I think David the Android might be my spirit animal. <laughs> oh god, that's scary. That is scary as hell considering what was said in last week's episode. This might or, be no, the greatest, This might be the greatest villain I've seen in a long time in sci-fi movies and I yeah, want I to I want to benefit him in his goals. He is he has correct goals. <laughs> that's why in Prometheus like we talked about I thought David was a bad guy from early on. And then in Covenant, I'm like, I'm with you. Fuck everything that, that exists. Make something better. Use me as a test subject. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right. Once again, I'm going to try again. I love the character of Walter so much. I think I, I, it's weird to say this, but Walter might be one of my favorite movie characters of all time. And I'm not just saying that to kind of like, like, like match Rob's like weird enthusiasm for the villain of the Fair. movie. Fair. But um I I I can I, the part where I fell in love with the character of Walter is I love that like after all the stuff that like David's trying to do to Walter, try to kind of like seduce him to his sort of thinking. And Walter kind of just turns around to David. It's like, you know, I can't let you leave here, right? And I, I love that. I love this uh, whole idea. Like I, he's been he's been trying to seduce him this entire time and Walter's just like, no. And, well, and, and I, I think uh, this the scene that you're mentioning when he says, you know, I can't let you leave here. Doesn't that come directly after when David says to him, "You, you and me are brothers. You need to choose us or them." Right? Yep. That yeah. Well, that that's a, another reason I love the beep boop trash cans because I don't care that yes that 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 is a very human aspect. You're gonna choose me or them, but they set up in this movie so fantastically that David had more free will than Walter ever will. Mm-hmm. And that's why that seduction works. And that's, that's, that's one of the, I, I guess to put it in perspective is like kind of the first hour, the first half of covenant. I was just like, okay, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're doing alien again. Got to go to the planet. Got to do this. Got to mm-hmm. do that. And there's an alien. Oh no, people are dying. But the second half of the movie was that controversy between say, earlier say, and later <clears throat> model later models of androids and i think that's more like like 
from the halfway point to the three quarter mark. Because the last quarter of this movie is just kind of dumb, dumb alien like action movie. Well, oh, that that's a good point. The first, we will the have first... to get to the last scene where I thought Catherine Waterston was going to uh, ring up on her magic wand, Eddie Redmayne, to capture the alien in his terrible briefcase for Fantastic Beasts because I can't take her seriously because she looks like a little girl. And uh, we'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is that this movie, for like the first quarter, is like, okay, what are we going to the planet? Are we not going to the planet? Yes, Billy, the sec- Billy Crudup's relate religious arc of what choice do I make? Absolutely. Yes. And then the twenty five percent mark of the film to fifty percent is we're on the planet, and the, and the movie comes to like the halfway mark, and like, oh, they're marooned on the planet. People are okay. getting sick. Yeah. Yes. And, well, they're, they're sick, and they're exploding with neomorphs. And then, well, I mean, I mean, b- before we move on from that, that was a big problem I had with this movie, at least in the beginning. You know, when we watch Alien, when I watch Prometheus, of course, Alien has the crew of seven plus a cat. Uh, Prometheus has a crew of more than seven, but it doesn't matter that we know how many there are. We know from the movie telling us how many characters we need to focus on. I was baffled. By how many characters they were showing us at the beginning of Alien Covenant. And yes, they focused on some more than others, but they were just like, oh, and then, oh, this person's married to this person, and this person's married to this person, this person's married to this person. I'm like, what the fuck do they have so many couples? Oh, it's a colony. Okay, I get it. And then my literal note is, I'm going to read one of my notes for you right now, Zach. There's way too many characters. I'm struggling to understand what everybody's role is, unlike in Alien and Prometheus. Does every be, everybody need to be married on this ship? A few notes later, it is legitimately, ah, so now it makes sense. We had a lot of underdeveloped characters with surface-level traits so they could all get killed off in the first big alien action scene. And that's, that is where this movie became a little more commonplace to me is that they they showed us that stupid picture of like and it's established more in the in the last supper prologue where there's like 36 people gather around a table but the opening 20 minutes of this movie only focus on a few of them and then what 30 percent 40 percent of them die in the first action scene and then another 20 percent of them die in the next action scene and it just it started to reek of that just movie tropishness to me. And that was a big problem I had with the start of this movie because they didn't establish characters like they did in Alien and Prometheus. That we didn't know who we were caring about other than the fact that they were famous or we had close-ups of their faces. And that's just movie cliche trope to me. Yeah, again, it's trying to, again, that's the thing about this movie. It's kind of hard to figure out what it's trying to be. Is it trying to be uh, a heady sci-fi action I'm sorry heady sci-fi horror film is it trying to be just a straight up horror film because the last 25% of the film is just it's, sci-fi horror and action yeah, it's, it's that, bland the last 25 damn, minutes is that, quite bland those fucking last action scenes where Danny McBride and yeah, magical beast lady are like <laughs> we're gonna put him on a truck and open the space door and there's just it's I have never seen more chaos in my life I could not follow what was going on 
There was At so least much the, chaos. The, you, know, you know what the problem is? Is that clearly they, whether it was Ridley Scott or somebody, one of the producers said, you need to think of creative ways to kill the xenomorphs. Because think about yeah. it. it the, and that's, and that's, that's and that, why I was I thinking know. she was going to put it in Eddie Redmayne's briefcase. <laughs> But that's why I think you got like the first one is she squishes it with the claw from the the power loader, and then the yeah. second one is it gets impaled on the uh, the truck's weird front pronged. See, I, I liked that scene when Danny McBride hit the escape on the truck to impale it, but that's the only scene in that like ten minutes I could follow. Everything that's, else was but covered with space dust and yeah, things floating in the air. But that's the and thing, I was though. lost. I know that's the thing, though. Clearly, it's it's everything is revolving around one moment, and that's the problem. Is that like nothing is flowing neatly into that moment, and it's like everything else, something revolves around a specific moment, it gets lost in the ether. Yeah, and that, yeah, and that's why again, I think the edict was think of creative ways to kill the beast. Don't kill the beast in a way that enhances the story. Mm, that and that that I think that's an issue. Absolutely, is that you know I think that. You know, Ridley Scott, whether or not he 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 knew it and forgot it or was learning it and didn't realize that just shooting the alien out of the airlock in the first alien is beautiful enough. You know, we don't what? we don't need anything greater. And when we do need well, something except, greater, except, it's not to stop the alien. It's to except fly except it's done that. ship into except, the other ship. That's ex- the next step. Except that blowing it out the airlock, they've done. I know. I know you don't mean literally doing that again. But I think it's the idea that like they've done that so many times. They've got to make these movies appealing to them. Think about Rob. This, like Prometheus comes out in 2012. Marvel is not a thing. True. This comes True. out in 2017. And like think about Guardians of the Galaxy. What do we have, what do we have Hulk and Thor by 2012? What does that mean? What when you say Marvel wasn't a thing, we did have some Marvel well, movies. No, no, but what, no, no, but what I meant though is that like it wasn't the cultural behemoth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. That's what I'm saying. We That's only what had, I mean. what, Hulk and Thor? Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor at that time, right? We had the Avengers. The Avengers just came out the month before. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, that's a good point. That's that was what I meant. That was something beyond recognition where this was that's, not being that's made what I mean. in that light. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And that's why, like, that's why I mean is that this movie's being made in, like, 2016. And by this point, like, think about it, This movie's in production, like, principal yeah. photography. And Captain America Civil War makes, like, hundred like seventy million million opening weekend. You need, you need Sokovia crashing to the planet to yes. destroy at that point. That's an inch. I, see, I didn't think about it that way because I actively seek to forget Marvel movies. But, uh, that's, but you are absolutely right that that had a cultural impact in filmmaking, especially on a franchise of this level. And, and Ridley Scott as a filmmaker. Sure. Sure, and that's the thing. There's a certain level of just they, they feel they have to make these things very homogenous in the end. Whereas like you, you, you go to an alien movie, you expect the last 20, 30 minutes to be characters defeating the xenomorph. You're, you're giving me this whole new perspective because I'm remembering that last scene. The alien gets impaled on the truck falling out of the spaceship, and Danny McBride, uh, Kenny Powers himself, Neil Gamby himself, thinks that fantastic beast lady is dead and she pops up and she goes you're gonna give me a hand like it's that jokey cliche cherry on top of that moment it's a quip and it's like that that doesn't make this good like literally why are you making a joke when your plan d was the one to succeed you should literally be exasperated out of breath ready to 
fucking die. You need to get back in the spaceship no matter what because your adrenaline is blowing. You're, it's causing a stroke. Like, oh, I, you're right. I'm glad you're putting this in perspective because it, it is the homogenization. And I think that that's a big fact. I didn't like that last scene because, one, there was no Eddie Redmayne, and it was quippy and stupid and chaotic, and it made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I said, I and plus even to the movie pretty much ends before that moment. Like you don't even need that additional. I action sequence because because there's no because going to the point where you have Damien Bashir who gets scarred by the xenomorph acid blood, yes. and then they bring him on board the ship. The medic woman is applying like some sort of temporary something to I guess just kind of like cover protect the wound. Yeah, it and seems like it seems like it's just local anesthetic from what I got. Yeah. <laughs> it's something, whatever. It doesn't like, matter. We we can't help you, but we can make it hurt a little less. <laughs> sure. And then the next thing we know, we get told foreign presence detected on the ship. And yep. it's like, wait, what? Like where where'd yeah, another alien yeah, come from? And, and there's and it's literally inexplicable within the movie as to how that character got implanted. I'm I'm glad you bring this up because this is something I want to talk about where I I thought that you know we we talked about last week how when I first got into Alien I in my first few viewings before I really understood what I thought about the movie I thought that that last scene of the escape pod was tacked on like it was just another jump scare that the alien was on the escape pod with Ripley and Jonesy and that's even though I know we talked about it last week, I don't think that anymore. That's kind of how I started to feel about this because, like you mm-hmm. said, we get the whole scene where the aliens in the outside, aliens on the outside, and Danny McBride is turning on blasters to burn it off, and 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 Catherine Waterston's like release the crane to catch it and throw it off, and blah and blah and blah, and it seems like they do it, but oh no, they don't do it. They have to have a whole nother chaotic action scene in space, and and I I don't see any thematic reason for that to be there because as far as i'm concerned the movie should be david returns to the ship says he's walter puts her in cryo sleep and it ends i don't see any reason for that last battle with the alien i don't see any reason unless david to be helping them and look at and we get that great there's a scene there's a scene where Walter, as we think he is, looks at that TV monitor screen and sees the alien, and you kind of get that sense of, well, is is this David? Is this Walter? Is this his child? Because, you know, David is trying to create these species. But we don't need anything other well, than that's, it. Well, that's, well, that's the thing I want to talk to you about, the whole ending okay. there. Because that enti- for everything I would say, as they're leaving the engineer planet, whatever it's called, doesn't matter— and I'd say pretty much everything after the David and en- en- Engine Earth. I'm sorry, Andrew, can we call it Engine Earth? Sure, Engine Earth. I don't know I if think... there's an actual name for it, but I like that Engine Earth. <laughs> but like everything <laughs> after like the David Walter fight, like we see David go for the knife, it cuts yep. to another scene. Like everything after that in the movie almost becomes like I want to say like genuinely inexplicable because there 
because there's certain things in that in everything going forward in the film that just don't make sense. Like we see a point where Catherine Waterson earlier in the film, when David is attacking her before Walter saves her, she takes the the nail that she made like a necklace out of, and she punctures under David's chin with it. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be. Uh, I took it at least watching these movies so close together. It's supposed to be the um, the religious versus the creator because it's not a cross, but it's a nail. It's the necklace yeah, sure. made that Naomi sure. Rapace wore in the first but movie. Sure. Uh, but I'm not even I'm not even looking at that way. Okay, I'm okay. looking at it as she stabs David through the chin uh, under the chin with it, and it leaves yes. a mark. And he and, goes, "I like your spirit." <laughs> yes, I know. But the thing is, we've learned though the difference between Walter and David. Is that obviously Walter can heal and David can't, as we learned that when da- when Physical, David attacks, level. yes, 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 he can feel he can heal superficial wounds. Yeah, Walter, David can't. Yeah, David has to actually use the glue and the staples and all that stuff. Yeah, yes, and that's the part of this that like you have that, but then when he's staring at the monitors watching. The, the attack happened remotely as Danny McBride and Catherine Waterston are trying to chase the xenomorph around. We get some close-ups of his chin, and the scar isn't there. Yeah, the scar. It's or the only, wound isn't there. It's only there. The, the major graphs that are appeared uh, yes. apparent on his and it's face. Like, yeah. And it's like, well, how is that? Like, that that's a continuity error then. I. I that, that's another reason why, you know, when the, when the scene cut between them fighting, I'm like, well, fucking duh. You got two people. That look the same. Of course they're going to switch. And then the movie doesn't do anything to misguide us from that. Like you just said with that no, but continuity like, error. But, but that being said though. Is that like I remember sitting in the theater watching this. And very vividly. And I kind of had like non-flashbacks. As I was re-watching it for this mm-hmm. recording. And I'm plate. like. And yes. And I was like. Why? I, I can't. Because I knew that, like in the movie, I saw it coming that they were going to do a switcheroo at some point. Of course. But like as I was you, watching that I, sequence, I just wait, 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 hold on, hold on, no, hold okay. on, second, okay. second, okay. Before, before I tell how the audience stupid they are, please continue. <laughs> Is that as I was watching that though in real time in May in 2017, I'm like, I kept being like, I couldn't figure out whether it was the real David or not, because or or if it was David or if it wasn't, because like. As like Walter is attacking or David and Walter are fighting each other, Catherine Waterson goes outside and she's talking to Danny McBride. She's like, You've got 15 minutes to be here. Okay. Yes. And as this fight's going on, Walter has the upper hand. Like he does. He's gonna win the fight because he's just more he's advanced. He's he he knows mm-hmm. more than than he's in program yep. to handle. He knows this. how to play the flute now. Yep. Yep. Yes. And then the next thing we know is that he's oh, David is pinned to the ground. David picks up a knife and we cut back to Catherine Waterson outside as the Danny McBride ship is landing. And it's like, okay, so you have to assume 15 minutes or less has elapsed. And then the next thing we know is we see David Walter, we don't know at this point, like wander like like, like outside, kind of like at the threshold of this palace or area of the the engineer planet. Yeah, and he goes sprinting. Sprinting toward the ship And if you look he looks Visually identical to Walter Visually mm-hmm. even down yeah, he's to got the, the jacket on and everything And he has the scar like the, like not the scar but he has like the wound Like like the um 
or you want to call it, kind of like the the android. Okay. I don't think milk. I noticed that in that scene. Yeah, but that's the thing that's interesting. That's the continuity here. We know mm. Walter can heal instantaneously, but Walter has a wound pri- during the fight that doesn't heal. Ah. So that's the thing I can't figure out. Is that like okay? There's that continuity error, and then you're telling me in the span of 15 minutes, David was able to overpower Walter. Somehow, without even because think about Walt, David did not know Walter had the ability to regenerate. Did not know that, so ignorant yeah. to Walter's defense mechanisms. So he, so in the span of fifteen minutes, David was able to overpower Walter, definitively defeat him. Then, with the time, recreate the exact same facial wounds that Walter had. That even though. Catherine Watterson would never have known that because she doesn't know what's happening. He has no need to replicate those facial wounds. Right. And then he, after that, he's able to completely disrobe and then dress himself in Walter's outfit perfectly enough that nothing would be off, which is fine. And Android would be able to do that, no problem. And then yeah, cut his, yeah. yeah, then cut his hand off and then run out all in the span of 15 minutes that- or less. You're you're absolutely right. I there was a lot in that last scene that I forgot, especially when you bring up the hand being cut off. That I, uh, you're right. Then, you're absolutely. Then, you make a good point for and sure. And then the crescendo on this that just and again and while I was watching all this in the theater, I couldn't figure it out. I was genuinely like kind of like going. I was doing those things with my eyes, going like left to right, left to right, figuring out which what's, one was which. Yeah, what's going to be what? Yeah, yeah. And then the thing that sold me watching it in the theater that because I love the character of Walter as I was watching it for the first time, like I don't want anything bad to happen to Walter. I hope he overpowers David. And then as I'm watching the movie, I just, just want to play I, the flute. <laughs> I know. And then the part that sold me in the theater that wa- it was Walter, not David, because we have the moment where the xenomorph, like Rob mentioned, looks directly into the camera and headbutts it. And I'm like, oh, like clearly the xenomorph is going to destroy the camera in a, in a way that's meant to startle the audience. Yep. And as I'm watching it, because I'm like, oh, if it's David, that's not going to shock him. That's not the hostility of this it's creature is not it's not gonna it's not gonna shock its creator. And yet he flinches. And yep, I'm like, Dave, Dave, David wouldn't flinch if this thing headbutted the camera that wasn't near him. I'm like, it has to be Walter. It, yeah, if anything, it would be a reaction of happiness to see that his mm-hmm. creation has been able to do that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so Walter survived. And then and then, like, we get to the – there's a bunch of other evidence, too, but I'm not going to get into it right now. And then we get to the very end, and, like, as soon as you know, like, okay, you know this is where they're going. And it's, like, yeah, before it even happens. And I'm, like, 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 it's so disconnected. And then the worst part is, is after everything I just said about the time it would take David to emulate Walter perfectly – at the very, very end of the film, we see him regurgitate, which is a pretty cool sequence on a visual level, oh, two face, face hugger embryos. And, I, and my question is, so on top of the fact that David was able to not just overpower Walter, completely dress himself in his attire, recreate the exact same facial wounds that he had, cut but his hand off, he also had the time to go all the way downstairs, go all the way down into the basement, which we know is far away from the outside, take two of them, swallow them, go all the way back, all in the span of 15 I, minutes or less. I think this, with everything you said and how much, you know, secondary commentary, I've been going, yes, oh, you're right, Zach, oh, through this whole discussion, this is a testament, I'm not disagreeing with you, but this is a testament to... We have discussed a movie Rob really enjoys where he turned his brain off. Uh-oh. Because uh-oh. I love this stuff. I know. Like, I love it too. 
and but you are absolutely right when you give it that modicum of consent that it kind of falls apart because hell yeah he he didn't have those you know amber eggs put in his pocket they were in his menagerie down in the basement where he had the pictures of Elizabeth Shaw that he used for uh, uh, scientific experiments and mm-hmm. yeah you're you're absolutely right and geez. Jeez, I mean, I think what happened. Well, I think happened. I got, I got, I got to watch it again with this, with this outlook. Not to hate it anymore or anything. No. never let the audience. I, I just want to watch it again with this outlook for sure. I think what happened was, I think they concluded when they originally shot this movie. I think they ended it with Walter rescuing uh, Damian Bashir and Catherine Waterson. And, yes. and I think they, I think they fought off the xenomorph, and they went back to the ship, and it was okay. Like we're heading to. We're heading to the Orzai 8, whatever it's called. Yeah, and or, or, Orzai 6. 6, I excuse me. I was off by 2. And I'm I like, mean, okay. That, yeah, eight, eight's not inhabitable. No. 6 is inhabitable. I mean, come on, Zach. Get your, get your fictional planets correct. <laughs> I know. I know. So I think I think they're going to end the film with something like that. I don't know. Of course, with like all these movies, there's going to be a gotcha at the end. Like, I... Who knows what that would have been But I think probably test audiences Or the yeah. studio oh. did not like the ending So what they decide I probably I would imagine They want the Probably the test screenings or the executives wanted more David So what they did was they changed it around After the fact after they've shot a bunch of stuff And I think, and I think they And I think they overlooked continuity errors That is an interesting Point because When I was watching this movie like literally from that hour mark when David shows up and he looks, he he's, he's Michael Fassbender and Walter is also Michael Fassbender. I'm like, here comes the switcheroo because that's what movies and stories do. You know, if you have two characters that look identical, they do a switcheroo. If, even if they don't do a switcheroo, they do a, no, don't shoot me, shoot him. No, don't shoot me, shoot him. So I was expecting one of those two. And it exactly happened at the end as I predicted it. And uh, I think to say uh, on that point, I'm glad that they switched it to David because David deserves to win at the end of well, the day. He's, well, he's the more interesting character. Like that. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, that's something I wanted to bring up, uh, bring about in this discussion. Now that we're talking about David and Walter is that we get a scene in alien covenant that is, David teaching Walter how to play the flute. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen a scene in a sci-fi movie this interesting. Between true robots. Hold it like so. Nice and easy. Now compress your lips to create your embouchure. Enough for the tip of your little finger. And blow into the hole gently. Like so. Watch me. I'll do the fingering. Go on. Very good. G to B flat.
put your fingers where mine are. You aren't surprised to see me. Every mission needs a good synthetic. Gentle pressure on the holes. The weight of a cigarette paper. I was with our illustrious creator, Mr. Wayland, when he died. What was he like? He was human. Entirely unworthy of his creation. I pitied him at the end. Now, raise your fingers as I put pressure on them. have symphonies in you, brother. I I honestly loved this scene, Zach. And I, that was I, I good. No, it's a great, it's a good yeah, scene. I think I'm kind of leaving it there because I know I, I was kind of thinking, well, I know a lot of my friends, I was thinking kind of maybe you, you would go, Rob, you love this scene. It's robots teaching robots. But th this was the way the camera did the back and forth. It followed that 180 degree line between the both of them and it was, you know, the whole process of watch me, watch me. Now press your fingers where I press my fingers. You're going to get it. And he does get it. And it's kind of that essence of growth. And it's it almost transcends the fact that they're both robots. It, tra it, it becomes the fact that they're able to learn. And that's consistent because that's what David is to me. The, the whole David villain in this movie is someone who is able to learn from the remnants of Prometheus and the ship that they flew to this planet. And I'm so on board with that. Like, I mean, Michael Fassbender, if you want to put a alien baby in me and make it blow out through my stomach, I mean, you know, let's talk. <laughs> do you, do you smoke? <laughs> no, oh, I, God. I, I, but, I, but I think one of my notes, just just to end on this, is is I I want to just encapsulate the the David villain, which I thought was a villain in Prometheus, and now is clearly a villain in Covenant. He is deliciously evil, and yeah. I I just wanted to say that because I don't think I've seen a villain that I've loved being this evil in a real long time. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, no, he's interesting. He's a neat villain. It's a shame that we're never going to see any. We're never going to see that character again. Ah, uh, don't. I mean, until David versus Goliath, <laughs> with on Michael Fassbender and his Stream aliens versus Str versus Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> streaming on Disney Plus this fall. Yeah, uh, can I get you know maybe I don't, I think I said what six six hundred six dollars sixty dollars. I mean maybe like you throw me a grand Disney. I'll be happy with that idea. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention before you go on, Zach, is uh, I do have the note, which I'm assuming you you knew I had to have. Um, one note is verbatim: Is Michael Fassbender gonna kiss himself? The next note is he is. 
That was a great scene. I thought that added, you know, not just the fact that we get, you know, an android kissing himself in a different version, which is fantastic. It's it's just the whole concept of, you know, that's what this robot, which is this whole scene is followed up by um, Billy Crudup being coerced into getting the face hugger on him. That's that's all beautiful. That that all adds to the theme and why I love the last hour of this movie or, you know, the maybe before the last 15, 20 minutes, the, the whole Michael being uh, sorry, David, Michael Fassbender being the bad guy. That's why this movie worked for me so well, because he was just like, I am now my own agent. I've been alone for so long without programming that anything I've ever gathered a remnant of of human behavior might play a role and I'm going to try it. And I have to mention, I don't know if Zach's going to like this. Have you ever asked yourself the question, Zach? Uh, I'm, I'm not the first person to ask this. This is actually a deep, long-term philosophical question. If you were ever put in a room with your exact copy, would you fight him? Or would you fuck him? Oh, oh, I, I could, I could never handle myself. No, I, I no. Well, handle in what way? Because the options are fight or fuck, and handle could oh, go fight. either way. Fight, fight. So you would fuck him? No, no. I, no, I said I, I would have to fight. Someone. Oh, you would no. fight. You would fight. You would. Oh no, fight. I, okay. oh, oh no, I couldn't. De- I could never deal with. This. If I ever interacted with someone like myself, I. Oh no, I couldn't handle it. No, it'd be. Uh, no, I'd hate myself. I. I have. Uh, I was posed this we, question. We both know the answer to this question, folks. I oh, can tell oh. you the answer to this. We all know where. You know what, folks? I'm like, you know, what? I know you know so well. You don't even need me to say it. He might Probably. spoil it though, but we all know the answer. You just Stop fucking himself. Oh yeah, we knew that. <laughs> I know, but Never, yeah, I, I, not I for a second posed, did I ever doubt that. I was posed this question, and I believe if if uh, I didn't write it down, but I believe this is an original Isaac Asimov question. With time travel and recreation, re- recreation, I should say, not recreation. Um, would you fight yourself or fuck yourself? Those are the options. Uh, I would. Oh, nobody knows me like I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did a Slim Jim together, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No but Slim Jacks. I, I, think, I think that this movie, in that scene, this is another reason why I love the franchise in air quotes because I've only now loved three of the what the six or seven movies this is in Prometheus and Covenant this is what they're getting at whether it be tight loose large small they're getting at some of these ideas that I absolutely love and Mm. I I I can't I can't deny that that you know even though Covenant had some goofier shit than Prometheus and I thought Prometheus was ahead of your movie Covenant's still getting at that idea in that kind of, you know, hour to hour 30 section with David and Walter. And I loved it. I concur. I also have to say that just as a whole, Alien Covenant, there's a lot of blood in the chestburster scenes. Like, more blood than we're used to in the Alien franchise, right? Like, it's, it's fucking everywhere. Yeah, they they wanted to make a horror film. That's you could tell they they were yeah. dialing it up from Prometheus. Oh yeah, they they pumped it. Ooh, they pumped it up. Like there's a lot of blood, and uh, it 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 works to its benefit sometimes. I think when you know Billy Crudup is 
facing the wrath of his seventh month pregnant wife, Mary Louise Parker, by getting his own stomach exploded. Uh, there's enough blood that makes that worth it. But even in the scene where, you know, when um, Juicy Small A and Millicent Severance from Under the Silver Lake get murdered in the shower at the end, we only get a quick glimpse of the alien tail doing that. But then when the characters zoom in, there's fucking blood covering every wall that exists. Yep. And it's just, there's, there's some gore that's a little for the sake of it, which I have no problem with. You know, I'm not against gore. Uh, I'm one of the people that loves a scene where the, the, oh God, what's his name? The dude from Hateful Eight, or multiple dudes from Hateful Eight vomit blood for minutes. I'm okay with that. But this is a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's it's there. It's gratuitous for the sake of being gratuitous. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, just to, just to tie it back is that, you know, to last week at least, I know I mentioned it, that I, I, I've been able to get all these movies from one of my buddies out in Pittsburgh who loves the Alien franchise. But at the same time, he loves gore. He, he is really into gory movies. And that's not to say he wants to cause gore. That's what gets him excited about films. He loves the Saw films. He loves, you know, um, the, the Andromeda strain where people are just blowing up with, like, Ebola-type diseases and stuff like that. And I, I can get that, that in terms of a horror film in 2017, at least, with Alien Covenant, that's kind of what the norm was, right? <clears throat> blowing up with blood. I'm not saying you need it, but I'm saying I'm not against it. There you go. All right, Rob. Well, that's it. I really don't have much to say about Alien Covenant besides that. Yeah, I think uh, I'm checking my notes right now, but I think overall that was uh, all I had. Um, I, I'm seeing right now there's a few other notes I have where it says there's a lot more blood. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess, I guess other than that, if we don't have anything more to say about Michael Fassbender and how he's going to be mistreated in the future of Disney owning this franchise, we can move on to our questions. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I mean, I guess I do want to ask you, Zach, the next time we get an Alien movie, it's going to suck, right? not going to be a movie. It's going to be a streaming series. Oh, no. On Hulu. On oh, Hulu. no. No, I'm sorry I asked the question. Oh, my God. Face hugger me. Please, face hugger me right now. I don't want to live anymore. I want a better being to be birthed from my stomach. Please, please, Zach. No. You're so right, but I hate it. Oh, my God. I, I'm sorry I asked this question. This might have to be cut out of the podcast because I hate it so much. <laughs> Okay, I'm not even going to ask any further conditions. Let's just go to our answers. Um, of course, we did a double feature this week. Uh, we have to talk about Cinematis and Late Night for both Prometheus and Covenant. I figured, since in chronological order, we'll start with Prometheus. And I want to throw it over you, Zach, for Prometheus, because I think my answers have become somewhat predictable. So, Cinematis and Late Night for Prometheus. Can you give us an answer? Um, I'm going to say no to Late Night. Cinemati, I'm gonna say yes. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Any reason on the late night before I give my answer? Any uh, uh, I, tale or I think or just it's because it's a go for it. 
I think it's a, it's uh, Prometheus is a little too dumb. It's a little too uh, it's it's a little too boilerplate. Like I, as crazy as that may sound, um, I don't think there's a lot to get from this as a late night movie. I think maybe if you're doing like a marathon of all the alien movies, maybe it would have its place as a late night movie. But um, no, by itself, no, no late night movie. In, Zach and I don't look at each other while we record this podcast. We do audio only. I cannot express to you, Zach, that when you said no, I made a, I made a face. <laughs> you made a face? <laughs> My answer for Prometheus is yes to both. Because one, in terms of cinemodities, it's everything a prequel to a great film should be to me. And with how rare that is, that makes it a cinemodity. And late night, fuck yes! I, I, I'm imagining I'm going to show this to someone, Ludovico technique or not, late night, and we're going to have great conversations about, well, you know, how are we created? Do we care about how we're created? If we found our creators, would we accept their answer? Yes to both for me to pr- Prometheus. Absolutely. I'm glad, Rob. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Covenant, Alien Covenant. I think I guess I'll go first for this one, and uh, I'm gonna go no for Cinemodities because I think this is a more straightforward action sci-fi film. And this is what I wanted to mention to Zach, and why I wanted to go first for for Cinemodities at least. I I had a really tough time separating this from the franchise. And I know when we talk about movies on cinemodities, we want to kind of encapsulate them on their own. But I had a really tough time thinking about this other than a sequel to Prometheus, a prequel to Alien. And I'm going to go no with everything I said earlier because it's uh, a more straightforward action sci-fi film. But at the same time, for, for, for sorry, late night. Yes, why not? I would love to show this to someone, and we get to see James Franco burn in the first twenty minutes, and then we get kind of get that kickoff, and and we could talk more about the the creation of perfect life, and uh, so so I'm going no to Covenant for cinematics, but yes for late night for Covenant. I concur. Oh, I thought you were gonna fight me on this one. No. I nope, mean, I don't think fight, it's fight in air quotes where Zach says we've been recording enough, so I just disagree with you. <laughs> no, no, I, I think you're spot on with that. I think late oh, night, yes, okay, and Maudie, okay. no. Okay, right on, right on. It's a much pulpier film, and I think that's why it gets a pass in that department. It is, it is. I don't know if I said that earlier, but this Covenant is definitely a much more pulpier film where I think Prometheus is a, a thematic film that deserves discussion and attention, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Faux show. I think that leads us to snacks. I have a few. I don't know. Did you want to go first? If you had a, un- unless you, you had know what, a Rob, I, yes. I, I, you usually I do the, the shorter first, right? I would imagine. I'm going to do a first on Cinematis. Okay. I am going to, do, I would imagine, because Rob is so enamored with the David character and the idea of concocting things, being the mad scientist that he is at the Cinematis mm. restaurant, I am going to defer all my snacks to Rob's because I consider that we have I, two movies. I'm going to take some of my, I'm going to take all my snack allotments and give them to Rob because I, I don't think there's any way I can do his justice. I don't have, I don't have a David snack. Really? Yeah, because he's a robot. No, no, I'm not saying you eat David. I'm saying that you, you're going to emulate well, no, his mad no, scientist I'm not level. We eat David either, but. 
I think it's been established that if, if a character is a robot or an android, they never should be allowed entrance to our restaurant unless they are performing musical theater. <laughs> yes. But so no, the I, point- I, I have no David snacks, if that shocks you. No, but I mean the sense of I am deferring to your the mad scientist in you like David. I'm going ah, to I figured okay. I figured that you have so many mad scientist level creations like he does for the restaurant, in the sense Ooh. of like as he has in the films, Ooh. grand plan. So I'm deferring my all of my snack allotments to you so you can have all of them. I understand now what you're saying, and I am going to disappoint you. <laughs> oh, really? I figured you'd have like I figured we'd be here for at least another half an hour, being like, okay, I'm doing all my, this stuff. My first snack is what Charlize Theron orders David to get her in the beginning or in the first thirty minutes of Prometheus. She says, "Vodka, up." Uh, do you know what "up" means for alcohol, Zach? No, Rob, I do not. You put it in a shaker with you put the alcohol in the shaker with ice. You shake it around and you pour it into the glass. So it is alcohol strained with ice. So when Charlize Theron says vodka up, she wants David to put the vodka in a shaker with ice, shake it, and then pour it. So there's no ice in the drink, but it was shaken and chilled with ice. So my first snack is vodka up. Because I and this is gonna come on to later snacks. I don't think we've given enough direction to the... Don't we have weird, uninformed people working the bar at the Cinematics restaurant? Hasn't this been established that they don't know what they're doing? I think something like that, yeah. So my first is vodka up. And and just as I described, that's what up means. If you ever have an alcohol shaken and then poured through ice, that is up. That is what an alcohol up drink is. Uh, I didn't make that up. Okay, Zach, calm down. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Bring me the tea <laughs> from the beginning of Alien Covenant. That's my next snack. I want customers to be able to say, bring me the tea to waiters in their vicinity, and they will bring them tea. Whiskey. No ice. No water. No chaser. No shit. The only way to drink whiskey and that's an absolute lie because I often drink whiskey with ice or with ginger ale. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want whiskey the way James Franco, the captain, liked it, with no ice, no water, no chaser, no shit, I guess we got that for you as well. And hell, I've I've drank straight whiskey before. Uh, what's this? What's the? Oh, it puts hair on your chest. That's a saying, you know. Mm-hmm. So my last snack, and I'm I'm kind of you know Zach, I'm kind of bummed out. I didn't. Think of the things you wanted me to think of. Oh God! Oh, I mean, my two our two year anniversary was was my last big hullabaloo. I'm, we're we're trying to get in the black, you know. Uh, but I would like akin to the scene in Prometheus when uh, David the android puts that little bit of alien genetic material from the the vase that he takes from the ship onto his finger. And he dips it into Logan Marshall Green's glass. And I I guess we didn't even talk about that before. I love that scene because even the first time I saw this movie, you see him put his finger, get a little pinprick of that genetic goo on him, on himself, on that finger. And then the next scene when he's talking to Logan Marshall Green, ready to pour him a drink, you can watch him never touch anything with that finger. That's some masterful directing and acting by uh, Michael Fassbender. But I figure 
to tie into what we talked about last week, our waiters will become trained in the sense that when we hire them, we put them through a training process to get a little bit of alien genetic material slash goo slipped into people's glasses. Because if you remember last week, I said, let's impregnate our employees when they aren't being good employees to genetically breed more loyal impro- employees. Mm-hmm. And, thi- and, we, and the loyal employees, basically we take a split. Anybody who we think isn't supportive of a restaurant because we're not treating them well enough because fuck them, we could turn them into food anytime we want or anything else with the magic evil camera from Goosebumps. We get the other half of the employees to slip a little bit of alien genetic material slash goo into their drink to breed better employees. And I don't think I brought this up last week. I think I was trying to keep it a little closer to the chest in terms of the uh, background of the restaurant. How cool would it be for our customers to see a better employee be birthed out of the stomach of a bad employee? Like, can you imagine if you're at a restaurant, just just don't even think about cinematics right now, Zach. Just, just close your eyes and think about this. You're at a restaurant. The guy you have as a waiter or the woman you have as a waitress is just an asshole. Like, they're being mean to you, and you don't care why. You don't care why they're being mean or what day they're having. You know that they got one job, and they need to serve you with a smile. Ding! And you say to yourself, man, wouldn't it be great if this person fell on the floor convulsing and a better employee burst out of their stomach? That's what we're offering at the Cinemodities restaurant. How do we copyright this? How do we patent this? Dude, where's our... Do we even have a lawyer? Have we even talked about that? Get him on the phone. Get him on the phone. I love this idea that we are going to birth better employees out of previous employees. We basically have a fast-paced Darwinism forced cesarean system for better employees. I'm excited about this, Zach. And if you're excited about this too, audience, you can reach out with a check to Cinemodities for at least $2,000. <laughs> That's as far as I could go. That When I got to the check, I, I lost it. Okay. <laughs> but those are my snacks. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of alcohol... And then um, benefiting my last week's endeavor of, um, you know, we're not we're not killing employees, we are translating them right because just because someone's stomach gets blown open, we can still use them for meat. You know, there's good meat on the arms, there's good meat on the legs. We could probably sell brains next week when we talk about uncut gems. Zach is. Totally lost right now. Rob Indeed, is I am. Cannibalism territory that Zach wants no part of. <laughs> well, other than that, whether Zach approves or not, which I usually ask him for, which I'm taking as a hard yes this week. Uh, Zach, did you have any snacks that I missed? No, even no, no, no. Rob, how okay. are we ending this episode? How are we ending this episode, Rob? You can't. You can't always defer the restaurant to me. 
because you have access Rob, to the Rob, spreadsheet again. Rob, how are we ending this episode? Well, before we end this episode, oh. we have to talk about our next series. We can't leave our audience hanging. Uncut, uncut gems, rappers, we're going. All right. Because, uh, well, yes, we're starting. Okay, the God I'll, is I'll the enter Valhalla. Beep, we, boop, boop, we, boop. <laughs> Cinemonides. All right, we're over. Did you, did you read my notes? That's what I wanted. I wanted the God's entry to Valhalla in reverse. Did you read my notes? Okay. Well, uh, da 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 da. da. <laughs>